Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys conclude their seventh annual spooktacular drunken march to Halloween and boorific boozathon, or some really scary shit like that, as they discuss the brand spanking new slasher sequel, Halloween Kills while reviewing the Cohiba Siri M Cigar from General Cigar Company, paired expertly, as always, with a truly terrifying amount of tasty craft beers. It sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. And, uh, oh yeah, happy Halloween, you sexy motherfuckers. Well, loyal listeners and viewers to the show will remember... Uh, that on our last episode, Yak Boy put me on blast and spent a good deal of airtime criticizing me at the start of the show. So I thought I'd beat him to the punch tonight and start things off right away before he has a chance to speak with some current news. Okay. Yeah. Everybody loves him some current news, right? (laughs) That's what the fans keep asking for. Look, there's lots of stuff going on in the world today, folks. Uh, Vaccine mandates, endless product shortages, Chinese hypersonic missiles launching into outer space. But when I came across this article on vice.com, a very reputable site the other day, I immediately said to myself, this, this article just might be the most TNCC article ever written. And so, of course, I had to share. You guys ready? Yeah, let's hit it. Y'all ready for this shit? Am. Here's the headline. See if you can see why it caught my attention. Missing drunk man spent hours helping a search party look for himself. (laughs) The the, the little uh, synopsis underneath, he helped look for himself for hours before realizing who the search party was looking for. (laughs) All right. Uh, This is as reported by Indian journalist Shamani Joshi for uh, Vice.com. This is good. A missing man in Turkey 
accidentally joined his own search party and looked for himself for hours before he realized he was the target of the rescue mission. According to local media reports, Jason Tuttle, sorry, I meant to say uh, Behan Mutlu, a 50-year-old man from a rural region of Turkey, was out drinking with his friends when he wandered off into a nearby forest and didn't return. Worried about him, his friends then alerted authorities who sent a search and rescue mission to find him. According to Turkish news channel NTV, when news of the missing man got out, efforts to find him intensified in nearby neighborhoods with a large group of volunteers joining the mission. This search party was calling out Mutlu's name for hours when suddenly a man from within the group spoke up and reportedly said, who are we looking for? I am here. It is unclear how Mutlu found himself in his own search party or how his friends didn't realize that he was right under their nose the whole time. Duh, they're just as drunk as he was. Yeah. Police were able to safely escort Mutlu to his home. And then it ends with this. This isn't the first time a missing person joined their own rescue mission. In 2012, an Asian tourist who went missing in Iceland was also found in her own search party after she reportedly failed to recognize her own description. (laughs) The missing man is wearing black vans and a Tuesday night cigar club t-shirt. Meanwhile, I keep searching for myself. His name is Matt Cade. I'm still looking for myself. This article made me realize just how long it's been since we've done a show live at Rumblecraft headquarters and drank with Skip and his boys. <laughs> We're way overdue for a visit uh, because every time we go there, this is this could very well happen to us. Uh, so tonight's show, guys, is dedicated to Behan Mutlu, who I nominate to be made an honorary member of the TNCC. Can we can we get one to uh, Behan Mutlu? I, I second that motion. Here's to you, Behan. Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 148. Tonight, our seventh annual spooktacular drunken march to Halloween and boorific boozathon comes to an end. Ugh. And after the last three of these, uh, this one has a lot to live up to, so don't fuck it up, you three. Doc, you want to start us off with a song? It's a special night. The government will get you if you don't watch out. They'll take you and shake you until you shout. Stop to look and listen. It's Halloween. The witches and the broomsticks and the pointy hats. Stirring things around in their big black vats. Stop, look and listen. It's Halloween. Ah. Brilliantly done, Doctor, with supporting supporting work on the air stand-up bass by our own uh, Jason Tuttle. Well done, boys. Oh, man. Dude, this is my favorite end. time of year. My favorite time of year. This is the end of our March to Halloween. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pumped. We've been talking about this uh, all year long, and then before we know it, it's already over. After tonight, we, we go back to watching horror movies and talking about them, and it just be the, basically the same thing. <laughs> but I won't be drinking out of my sweet Michael Myers tiki mug. Nice, nice. Nice. I think we're going to have a great show here, boys. But before we get started, 
I would like to talk about something uh, very important to all the men out there in our audience, possibly some of the men, a segment of our male listeners and viewers. I have something very cool to share with you boys and you good folks at home. If you are listening to us now is the time to switch over to our YouTube channel. Why listen to us when you could soak all this handsomeness in on the, the YouTubes. Am I right, Ted? Oh, you're right. You're right. I soak it in every time I see you. You're going to want, you're going to want to see this. I am holding in my hands some insanely cool personalized groomsman gifts from your one-stop shop when hunting down gifts for your special group of dudes, groomsday.com. Groomsday.com. You name it, they've got it. What I'm going to show you here is the Midnight Smoker gift set. Oh, look at that. Which includes a personalized glass top humidor. You can see it here on your screen on YouTube. We've got, it says the Tuesday Night Cigar Club on it. Nice. It's got a very nice, nice tight seal. It's got a, mm, that lovely smell of Spanish cedar. It comes with a, a little water humidifier. You, you're going to want to put just a Bovita pack in there. One, one should do it. Uh, but it's a very nice, uh, handsome humidor. What else do I have, Tut, you ask? What do you have? Oh, I don't know. A Tuesday Night Cigar Club flask? Oh, nice. Yeah? With a, with our name engraved on it. Our name engraved on it. Get this. The Midnight Smoker gift set also includes an engraved cigar lighter. Look. TNC, oh, that's a nice one. TNCC engraved on the lighter. Yeah, I'm liking oh, this. Comes in a handsome little box with a little little felt uh, layer over it. It's very classy. It could come just in cardboard, and that's a nice thing. If you're found stumbling around in the dark with one of those, you'll never have to share the same fate of Bayhan Mutlu. They'll know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. But wait, there's a whole lot more. Also included is this really cool traveling cigar case. I think this is the bamboo, bamboo finish. It's got Tuesday Night Cigar Club engraved on it. On the other side, TNCC, and it comes with a cutter that fits into that little holster. <laughs> That's actually pretty sweet. How cool is all this? It, it all looks really sharp. Can you imagine how happy this would make that lifelong friend? That dude who's always had your back, no matter, no matter what names you may have called him when you're sloppy drunk and pissed off at 3 a.m. Or get this. If you don't have a super close friend like that and you kind of picked your groomsman half-heartedly because your wife-to-be has a whole bunch of bridesmaids and you just need to fill some spots, you could get the Midnight Smoker gift set, get everything personalized with just your name on it, and give like each individual thing to somebody. Like, hey, uh, Jeff, you get this. Hey, Brad, here's your lighter. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tom? flask for you buddy and i can't forget you todd thanks for the bachelor party and picking up the tab at the strip club here's a humidor with my name engraved on it that's a life that's a life hack boys i just that that does sound like something it would do i just saved you a ton of money for your groomsman presence um they all look really sharp so head over to groomsday.com where you'll find all sorts of other cool items like whiskey glasses that can hold a stogie in them, personalized koozies, cufflinks. Get this. You can have personalized footballs made. 
you and your boys can go out and toss the ball and be reminded of your wedding day. They got every, you name it, they've got it. Uh, the website is super easy to navigate and the shipping is super fast. Uh, so get your ass over to groomsday.com and I think you'll find exactly what you're looking for. What's that website, Todd? Groomsday.com. Can you do a little, one of your little musical jingles? Groomsday.com. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Groomsday.com. Uh, so, yeah, this is really cool stuff. And I'm actually, um, since I've got four things here and there's four of us, I was going to divvy them up bet- bet- between us. Yeah, because I think last time we did one of these, you got the glass top humidor. Did I? Yeah, I think you did. Didn't you? Or did Todd get the glass top humidor? I did not get the glass top humidor. Yeah, boy, you, you little snarky. You you got the humidor last time. The glass top. Did humidor. I? <laughs> Do you really not remember? I don't remember. You know what? I'll take your word for it. What's that? I'll take your word for it. I I, I believe you did get a glass top humidor at one point in our seven years. I I understand. It's been seven years. It's been a while. Uh, but yeah, last time we did one of these, uh, kind of on air spots. Uh, so you know what, Ty, you, you can have this bad boy to keep your show cigars in, throw it, throw it over to the doctor, throw it to the doctor. Well, I was just thinking the doctor's got a really nice, big humidor and, uh, this one, you know, could just perfectly fit your show cigars in it. And, uh, and I don't, I don't know when I'm going to see the doctor again. Ever. I, appreciate that, <laughs> I think you should have that. Well, then I will gladly take it. There you go. Tut, this is yours. It's got a really nice felt bottom. You can keep your show cigars in there so you know not to smoke them. <laughs> like that little glass top's going to stop me. At 2 a.m. when you're about to get lost in the woods and you go for a cigar, this will <laughs> make sure you don't grab one of our, our better, treasure show cigars. You better have an iPad app that will lock that thing remotely. <laughs> uh, you know what, doctor? I'm going to give you this flask. <laughs> oh, man. That's, I got something in my eye. Doctor, this flask has, this has you written all over it. I know you go to a lot of movies and like to bring a little gin with you to uh, liven things up. This will be perfect for that. It'll fit into your doctor's blazer. Man. Sir, once again, you cannot bring your own flask into the theater again. And Yak well, Boy, you Of course, Kate is speaking in general theories only. <laughs> Yak Boy, you are going to get this handsome TNCC engraved torch lighter. I'll take it. I am a fan of fire. I'm going to be sending all these COD. I'm not going to pay for shipping. So if you if you just be be ready, to, it's going to be pricey, but uh, be ready to pay out the nose to get these. Okay. Roomsday.com is where I got my flask. Turns out Matt Kate is quite the ass. Stop, look, and listen. It's the TNCC Halloween. Roomsday.com. Uh, well, there. We all get a little Halloween treat in our in our goodie basket. How's that? All right. All right. Well, folks, um, it is the Tuesday Night Scar Club, so uh, there are some a few rules. One rule uh, that we have here, and that's that we smoke a cigar. A premium cigar, no non-premiums anywhere around here. Paired with uh, some delicious craft beers, and also expertly paired. Some had, some have said, uh, with a feature film. And uh, tonight 
is going to be a good one because it's one of those, man, I could probably count on one hand how many brand new movies and theaters we've featured on the show in seven years. In fact, I figured uh, doctor and I were talking when I walked in the movie theater uh, last Friday to watch tonight's movie, Halloween kills the new Halloween film. The last time I was in a movie theater was the last time we did this, which was Terminator Genesis in November of 2019. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't do this very often. Um, but, but uh, right, but it, it, wasn't it Dark Fate? Was that it? Oh, Dark Fate. Dark, Dark Fate. Fate. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Genesis, I think we all went together. That was like five years ago or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you, good, good save, Doctor. Good, good correction. All right. Well, tonight, let's get to, we usually do this, talk about the cigar first. Tonight's cigar, man, it is a really eye-grabbing band on this thing. And the presentation itself is pretty impressive. It is the Cohiba Siri M by General Cigar Company. M is in Michael Myers. Meh. Yeah. See what you did there. Uh, man, this thing has a gorgeous little fishtail cap on it, a closed foot. Um, it is a 6x54 Toro. Wrapper is Nicaraguan Corojo. Binders Nicaragua. The filler is Nicaragua from Jalapa and Esteli and Dominican Republic with some uh, Peloto Cubano tobacco. I'll say price point till later. Uh, while Cohiba is obviously one of the biggest names in the industry, primarily for its Cuban blends, the cigars produced for st- sale stateside and elsewhere by General Cigar Company are very popular as well, to say the least. We've reviewed two Cohibas previously on the podcast. The Spectre. Remember yeah. the hundred dollar cigar? and the Cohiba Royale and nothing about either of those really blew our socks off other than their lofty price tags. So uh, this should be interesting. There's also something very interesting and unique about tonight's cigar, the Siri M. It is the first Cohiba to be rolled right here in the United States. General Cigar Company chose the legendary El Titan de Bronze on Cale Ocho. Hey, I've heard of them. Uh, I believe run by Willie Herrera of Drew Estate's mother-in-law that is uh, for the honor of bringing this blend to life. Uh, the M is for Miami boys, not Michael Myers, but we can pretend for pairing purposes. Uh, and that's all I'm going to tell you about the cigar. Cause that's all I know about the cigar. It is just a gorgeous. I love a closed foot. I love that. The, 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 just a really kind of leathery feel to the, the wrapper and it came in uh, when you get it in the cellophane, it actually has a sliver of cedar in it, which not only protects that cap from being broken by, uh, you know, when you're traveling with it and whatnot, it kind of supports the cigar. But I'll be honest, when I took it out of the sleeve, all I, could, I just it was pure cedar. And it's still, oh, there's a little, there's a little tea, a little tea there now that it's kind of had some room to breathe, a little little bit of green tea and cedar. That's nice. Tut, you'd wasted no time setting that motherfucker on fire. Yeah, yeah. I was glad that you said, oh, what you're supposed to do is light the cedar, and then you light the cigar. I was like, oh, I blew right past that. Uh, I twist out the cap, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a, a little clip. And uh, what are you getting so far, Amy? 
Uh, yeah, bread across the uh, palate, a little bit of spice on the, not a lot of spice, but a little bit of spice on the retro ale. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a nice little nice little burn right now. Uh, I had no problem twisting the the tail off of it, so I didn't have to clip it. Uh, it was a little bit of <laughs> I almost pulled the whole man. This is not really drawing well, and then I was like, oh yeah, let's light that closed foot. Uh, but yeah, uh, just a just a nice bread note, not a toast note, but like a doughy bread note. Uh, across that palate, and then uh, you got some nice little spice play on the retro hill. Dude, that is a potent spice on the retro hill. That's no joke, man. My eyes are watering a little bit. That is, for me, is very strong. Yeah, uh, for me, it was like a nice little spice play, not very strong at all. Oh, man. I mean, that's just me. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm getting an extremely potent uh pepper spice out the nose holy smokes i wasn't prepared for that yeah it's quite nice yeah i see your bread i see your bread on the thing and then uh there's definitely a woodsy component i, I don't know if you had said that or not um mixing in with that that breadiness but uh man for me it's hard to get past that retro hail holy I'm starting s- to get a nice little smoke profile traveling up the cigar coming out the end not as not, I wonder if that has anything to do with the rollers. It's got to. Uh, well, it does. And you know what? The, the cool thing about El Titan to Bronze is I believe they have one person rolling each blend. It's not like a team of rollers like you see in most factories. I believe it's it's, yeah. a, it's a solo endeavor, which puts a lot of responsibility and a lot of uh, quality control on that one that one special person. Um, Bob? I, I, doubt job. I doubt their name's Bob. Could be. You never know. It, they might be like, hey, my name's hard to pronounce, and I'm not forcing the gringos to pronounce it, so you can just call me Bob. Whew. Man, that's spice. I need a drink. Um, speaking of drinks. And I say that because I learned that that's what uh, some of my Asian friends at UT do. Uh, there's Peter, but his real name's not Peter. There's Victor, but his real name's not Victor. It's just they are like, you know, we chose these names because we don't want to force you to have to pronounce it and listen to you mangle it. Wasn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think. I wish that drunk Turkish guy would have done that so I didn't butcher, <laughs> his, butcher his name in the uh, the opening thing. Oh, I still got the feeling like he's with the search party and all of a sudden he like figures it out. Then he's like, uh, Red's behind the corner of a building. I found him. He's over here. <laughs> Grabs his own collar. Got him. Is there a little? Is there a little fruit coming off of the very the 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 very front of that retro hell? It's almost like a little fruit, like a fig type deal coming through there. I'm still in the heat of that spice. I'm not quite. Re- I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, it could also be Todd that you're drinking a beer with pumpkins in it. Oh, and what a beer this is. Pumpkins are a fruit, I believe. The vegetable. They have seeds. They're a fruit. I've heard it both ways. Well, look, I need a drink, and I don't see a better time for our resident beer expert, the mixologist of all mixology, the Big Daddy Kane of pouring beers. 
the Eric B and Rakim uh, making Jack and Cokes. The Bismarcky of uh, banana daiquiris. I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know even where the rap thing is. You pour what I need. Yak Boy, you, uh, of course, are the proprietor of O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas. And as always, I'm going to turn to you to tell us about uh, what we're drinking tonight. Back in the old days, back in the old days, uh, prior to uh, COVID, we would all, of course, congregate here in the corner of No Hope together and drink the same beer and compare notes. That was awesome. Uh, But one of the few cool things about uh, our current situation is that now we all get to go out on our own and find four different beverages and then we see how four different things interact uh with the cigar and uh just hopefully at the end of the night you get introduced to four cool new beers lately it's been like two cool beers stay away two just stay the fuck away from this beer um but uh let's see what we're in store for tonight uh you know what yaks since i'm the only one drinking out of a michael myers tiki glass why don't you talk about tonight? I'm starting things off. Uh, I've got a couple beers tonight. First up, I'm going with this one, Yaks. Can you tell us uh, what it is? The Elysian from Elysian Brewing. Elysian's Full Contact IPA. Of course, Elysian. Been around since 96. Uh, we are all fans of their remarkable Space Dust IPA. Oh, that's good. a good one. So tasty. Uh, full contact, 8.8% ABV, 60 IBUs. Is, is it rolling in on that 60? Yeah, that's about right. All right. It's, it's, uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. You can finish up. Uh, I was just going to say that, uh, the, uh, Louisiana, uh, they're out of New York and, uh, Full contact. I forgot to say it is an imperial IPA. Is that mainly for the strength, the alcohol content? I think so. Yes. Um, it does have some maltiness, but it's subdued. I'm not a big fan of, of the malt heavy imperials. Um, that, that bitterness is beautiful. Um, it's just got a really smooth profile, uh, especially for 8.8. Uh, I, I was really relieved when I, it, you can't tell in the Michael Myers glass, but uh, when you pour it uh, into a pint, it pours very light uh, in color, which that put me at ease. I, I tend not to like the Imperials that a little bit darker because that tends to get imply a little bit of more maltiness, a little more heavy kind of fruity. No, this is just a, a very hot forward, uh, easygoing IPA. I, I actually like it quite a bit. Um, I would, I'm not going to let it usurp uh, space dust. I, I we we all love that beer, uh, and I drink a lo- I drink a lot of that one. Then didn't Elysian didn't they sell out to the big boys yet? They did. I can't say that they sold out. They of course. Sure. I'm not saying it's a negative. I'm just saying they 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 they're not. Hey, they got Elysian. Did you sell out? Distribution. Hey Elysian, did you sell out every beer in the warehouse? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I picked this one tonight, boys, among my other three, um, because full contact is 
how I would describe uh, Michael Myers in this film. When you talk about football practice and there's like, you know, in spring training when they just can like touch each other, you know, they snap and nobody can get hurt or whatever, but then we're going full contact. Uh, Mikey kills about 40 people in this movie tonight. It, it is full contact training pads off. It is go time. Um, I've got some other evil beers in the fridge, which I'll be switching to here shortly, but uh, I just thought a strong beer named full contact uh, for a very violent full contact movie uh, was a good way to start the night off. And I can see you all agree with me. Uh, <laughs> what's Tut drinking? The good Tut is drinking the Monster Mash. Monster Mash. Monster. monster. Not Monster. 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 The Monster Mash is a pumpkin ale from the Spencer Trappist Brewery. Oh, those we beautiful monks. They're, they're yeah. not really monks, but... No, no, they are monks. Wait. I thought they weren't. I thought they just bought the the uh, Trappist license or whatever, the recipes. We do this no, every, no. We do this every time we do a Spencer beer. <laughs> no, no, they're actual monks. They're actual monks. Okay. Then awesome. I love those monks. So uh, it is a... Uh, we have, uh, of course, done several of their beers. Uh, most recently was uh, episode uh, 141 when we did the uh, did the their uh, Imperial Stout. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, but it wasn't great. We reviewed movie Nobody. He uh, said it was all right, but still, that that was. I mean, we've had had many of theirs. Uh, the Monster, it's a 5.2 percent. Uh, doesn't really have a it is an imperial stout, so it's low to no IBUs. So, yeah, I, I'll tell you this: I am working for my pairing grade this bill. So, not only does the monster mash play off the monster mash, and you know Michael Myers is one of the classic Halloween monsters, uh, killing monsters it is, but my traditional Halloween shirt—he's worn it for seven years in a row, ladies and germs. Is the graphic on this can? <laughs> and so I have to say, dude, t- hold it, hold, sit up, and hold it next to your belly. <laughs> I have to say, this is a beautiful beer. It is. Uh, it's like a, a double slash a triple, except it's not as heavy. It's not as malt heavy, or or just that heaviness that the that the triples have. But it still has that wonderful just flavor explosion like the Don to do, except it's just a little bit brighter, a little bit crisper. You can taste the pumpkin in it, which is kind of a, an interesting little deal, but it's not, it's not forbearing. Mincy was talking about a pumpkin pie. There's a little bit of pumpkin pie spice coming through it, but it's not heavy. So it's like you got that nice triple type deal that the, that, you know, the little trap Trappist like sprinkled in with some uh, pumpkin spice. It's, it's a great beer. Wow, I was for sure you were gonna hate it. I I had a. I have a never liked. I've only had one pumpkin beer so far, and I hated it. Yeah, I've I, hate, I, just, I've, I've I like hated, Spencer Brewery, so let's give them a shot. I've hated all the the pumpkins, but which I'm not a fan of pumpkin pie. I don't like anything pumpkin. Uh, That's terrible. 
pumpkin pie is delicious. I am not I wonderful. I like pumpkins out on the porch. That's that's where they belong, not in the kitchen. Uh, but really, I'm, I'm sounds like you're a big fan. I am a very very big how, fan, and how it's, it's pairing wonderfully with the cigar. Because I was going to ask that, how that that myriad of flavors you described are going with the the smoke. But they're not combating that 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 spice off the retro hell at all. So the only thing it's doing is it's adding to the palate draw, which frankly, I think the palate on the palate draw on this needs a little, little something to, to mix it up with. Uh, the bread's nice, but you know, that's just a one note that kind of gets old after a little bit. Uh, so I, I love what this is doing on the palate and then the spice off this cigar is absolutely the showing up nicely off of the, uh, on the retro hole pairing with this. So I'm, so far, I'm really liking this pairing. You sound like you're in heaven, my friend. Uh, yeah. yeah the, the spice actually is downshifted a little bit here uh, an inch in. Um, it's still it's still definitely there. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, bready, uh, very warm kind of toast, toasty, enjoyable flavor, uh, back-ended by, uh, I'm going to go with cedar, not just because it was packed, but, I mean, there, there's just that kind of very mellow woodsy note on there uh but so far i'm most impressed with just the construction of this thing and the smoke profile pouring off of this thing is yeah it's beautiful gorgeous uh it's a really it's a really pretty cigar um from the i like the gold and green on the on the band and yeah but uh yeah so far just a, a really a really mellow draw that's kind of balanced well with that that supercharged spice on the it reminds me it, hey it reminds me a little bit of the Herrera Steli Miami also made at El Titan de Bronze which was a very cedar heavy draw with a very spice yeah spice forward retro it reminds me a little bit of that but there's a little something more here going on the draw with that breadiness uh it'll be fun to see where this one develops all right yak boy keep you on your toes here I'm gonna go with doctor what is the doctor drinking the doctor, of course, is still that time he went with the Paul Lanner Oktoberfest. Can never Close, go wrong. Doctor. Can never go wrong with Pauliner or an Oktoberfest during our march to Halloween. Good job, Doctor. How can you not? When did we do the Pauliner, Yaks? Uh, the last Pauliner that we had done, we did on, uh, or that I could find, was the episode 62, Killing Gunther. Did we do that during Oktoberfest? Was we that, did. did. We did. Wasn't it? Was a. Uh, this was their. Uh, the uh, their Salvatore Doppelbach. Okay, I remember uh, it was the Bach, but I didn't realize it was the uh, Oktoberfest, the Mars. And... The this one, uh, the this Oktoberfest, of course, it, it was either standard temp, what they would serve now, during the time, and of course, it being Paul Lanner, they. Being one of the uh, in uh, Munich, Germany, one of the oldest breweries in that area, one of the big six, uh, started back in ye- the year of our Lord one thousand six hundred and thirty-four, three hundred eighty-seven years ago. So they they have they have some experience making beer, you know, you know a thing or two by now. Now, Yak Boy, those same people are not still making the beers, am I correct? Yes, this beer causes you to live forever. In horrible pain. <laughs> Drink us, Boy, I choose poorly. <laughs> uh, the the Oktoberfest, it's a uh, 5.8% ABV and a little bit hop, just around 20 IBU. So, 
but it should just be tasty all around. Tasty it is, Yaks. Uh, I know I've had the Hef in the past, but uh, uh, this is a good beer. Um, obviously, Oktoberfest is the tie-in, it being the month of October and the month of All Hallows' Eve. So that's my movie tie-in. It is nice and tasty. Uh, it's got a nice uh, nice color to it. Uh, going down easy. I wish I had myself a nice German bratwurst smothered in onions to go with it. Uh, Ooh, that'd be nice. I, I will just uh, I'll just get another bottle. Okay. Uh, well, you're doing that, Doctor. Uh, I will say, uh, Tuttle and I found ourselves at my local brewery this last weekend for their big Oktoberfest celebration, and uh, we all we we ate a, a big old sausage with some mustard on it. Um, that's a euphemism. The Thank German. The right, Ger- I was wondering whether that's what that was. Thank you. I'm just going to go with that. It was German sausage at Oktoberfest. <laughs> it sure was. Uh, it, it was. It was funny though. Uh, Tut texted me and said he was going to be meeting a friend in my my little village I live in at our local brewery and have a beer. And I was like, Yeah, you know what? Uh, we don't have the kids for the day, so we're actually going to be stopping by there later. Maybe I'll get to see it. Oh, that is pretty, Doc. That is pretty poor. Um, the beer podcast guys, totally clueless that it was Oktoberfest. <laughs> we show up at my little brewery and there's like 2000 people. Um, it was, it was, it, it was a madhouse, but dude, the, the fortunes aligned. And as I stand in line for, 20 people deep to get a beer. I see two seats open inside at the bar and I'm like, go get them down. I told get the, to wife, the seats. I told the wife, get to the seats. So uh, she went and got our seats. I got a beers and dude, we didn't have to stay in line the rest of the night. We had the bartenders were awesome at Barrow Brewing Company in Salado, Texas. They, uh, they took care of us all night long. Tut joined us uh, a little bit later after his, Company left, and uh, we ate some sausage, had some beers. It was it was end up being a fun little night. Yeah, yeah. I want to thanks thank my friend for inviting me to the super spreader event that I didn't know was going on. But. Oh, you're not you're not sick. You're not sniffling. So far, so good. So far, so good. That uh, that Pfizer vaccine man does its job. It was funny though that Tut hasn't been around like more than five or six people in two years, and then next thing you know, he's it's like battling his way through the why. Yeah. Dude, Why? Dude, I'll just tell you guys, he was so drunk, he didn't give a shit. And he said that very loudly, like, if I would have known I was going to be in a goddamn super spreader event. Like, oh, jeez. I got to live here, dude. Oh. You'll have to go end up looking for him later in the woods. My name uh, is Matt A.K. He, he did get lost down by the creek later. <laughs> Luckily, he was found quickly by himself. He found himself very quickly. Uh, well, it's hard to miss him in that goddamn pumpkin shirt. So I wear it. So I wear it. Situational awareness. Uh, so, uh, well, bravo to Barrow Brewing Company for holding a fantastic Oktoberfest event. I'm actually going to be switching to their uh, one of their beers, uh, their evil beers here shortly. Um, yeah. By the way, they're uh, they're Texasaurus Rex or whatever. They're it's a German Texasaurus. style. Rex Lager, yeah. Yeah, it's a German style lager. That was pretty good. Their Bach was really good. Bach hit a little bit heavy. Yeah. Uh, did, did you get, a, was that their Oktoberfest? Did you try their Oktoberfest or no? 
yeah, I tried the Oktoberfest. I tried, well, now I'm about to give away about how much I was drinking. But uh, their Oktoberfest, their German lager, and their Bach. I even tried their stout. Nobody's uh, listening to you. You just listed off nine beers. Uh, you know, I do have a have a beer podcast. What do you expect? Okay. Well, that only leaves you, Yak Boy, as our resident beer expert. I can't wait to see what you paired for our last episode on the March to Halloween. But well, I've been sitting on these. Got them early in the summer. Oh my God, your sick. ass must be so. Oh, you literally, you figured a little. Oh, Jesus. Right. From Middleton Brewing. Good I have and evil. Their evil and good IPAs. Evil, of course, is Michael Myers was diagnosed as pure evil by Dr. Loomis, world-renowned doctor. Doctor, yeah. is that correct? He is world-renowned? Yeah, he is, Yak Boy. He is world-renowned. So uh, Milton Brewing, located in wonderful San Marcos, Texas, started back in 2011. Uh, the Evil Ale IPA, it is a double dry-hopped, juicy IPA. It rolls in at about 7.2%. I couldn't find a listing. They didn't give anything on their IBUs. It does have, it is hoppy. So I'm going to probably say it's right around 50, 60. Not, not too hoppy. Okay. How long you went, how long ago did you buy these things? I got them back in May. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they are higher and they, you know, the guy said they can last. You just keep them, you know, at temperature. So, uh, so is I, it wait and I was like, I saw these and I was like, I know when it comes Halloween time, we're going to have something. So what it is. Somebody's, that effort will be reflected in your beer pairing score, my friend. C minus. <laughs> For any of us to sit and not drink a beer. And not drink. Oh, yeah. no, there's many a times where I'm like, you know, they're just <laughs> sitting there staring at me like, drink us. Dude, for any of us to have beer right there and not drink it for five months, that, that's... I've, I've, been, I've been waiting on this. And, I mean, it comes out, like I said, it is juicy, almost, you know, more more on the hazy side, but, man, it is delicious. I'm not going to lie. It's worth the wait. Every time Yak says juicy, I just hear big uh, Biggie in my head. Oh! <laughs> well, yeah. Like I said, I have, I'm, after I finish The Evil, I will, of course, have to Cleanse it with the good. Of course. So, of course. How is it pairing with the cigar? Like I said, this one is actually really good. I was concerned because, like I said, I couldn't find any info on the hoppiness. So I was wondering if it was going to be really hoppy or anything like that. Because it is obviously said, like I said, double dry hop. So I was figuring it was going to just be, you know, a hot blast, but it was not. It, it, it's, it's, it's right in the middle, middle range there. And, of course... I mean, it's it, it hits all the all the really good notes. I mean, the it's not it does have citrus, but it's not really sweet in that sense. So I'm liking that. I wonder if aging it for a couple months is let settle down a little bit, let some of that. I think so. I mean, stuff I'm, die down. I know, is you know, it was one of those like person there was like, you know, we've got it's like I got this evil IPA. I'm like, evil, you say. I like evil. It's like, what else have good? I am impressed by all good. of you boys tonight. All of you boys did s- s- stellar tonight. Um, and you see know what? Life. You'll just have to tune in to see how you do on the scoreboards, my friends. 
you know what, Ted? You mentioned the fruitiness earlier. You you mm-hmm. you kind of got on the back of the retro. You said it was kind of like a a fig. Yeah, it's like right up right up there, right about right there, right there, coming right up right up through the nose, right, right on the, the back part, right right in the sinuses, right yeah, up. Uh, yeah. There is kind of not a sweet raisins. Yeah. I can use your catchphrase. But there is a raisin like kind of uh I thought there was. Uh when I, I initially lit up just on the cold draw, I was like, there is a I mean, it was really sweet for me. But I didn't know if I was picking up something from the cedar having just been inside with that cellophane. Yeah. I was like, there is definitely a, a fruit sweetness here, but I'm not, I'm not really getting that right now or that. Uh, I don't know it, if maybe it, my, it takes very, very subtle and it's, it takes a little while, but it is on the back of that retro hail. Now, especially now that the peppers died down some into medium territory, there is on the very back end of that, a kind of raisin like sweetness, um, not sweet raisins, not that, no, not, no, that, no, not that, not that, no. not that impactful. Uh, it's much more gentle, uh, kind of delicate raisin on the back there. But man, if that retro isn't playing really well with that that bready and cedarness of the draw, it's a very pleasant cigar. Yeah, yeah. So far, so far, so far, I'm liking this a lot more than the Spectre, the Cohiba Royale. Well, uh, yeah, I was about to say, uh, I was thinking so far until I hear the price on this bad boy. You know what? But it Cohiba- can't it can't be worse than the Spectre. Cohiba's all over the place. I mean, you you go to some of the the big online retailers, you know, and they're and they're doing fivers of Cohiba Blue Label or you know Black Label. Uh, you, you get up there when you get in like the Cohiba Nicaraguas. Uh, the Cohiba Connecticut was a really good cigar. We have, we actually might feature that down the line because that that is the best non-Cuban Cohiba I've ever smoked. I actually have some for us that we should do on a show. It's a really good. Really impressive cigar. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm digging this one. It's nice. Uh, And it's got more than just one or two things going for it. It's got a couple of things going for it. So I will revisit. Um, You know who else makes some damn fine cigars, Ted? Our friends at Drew Estate. That's right. All right. And Drew Estate is about to make someone a whole lot richer. During its latest Freestyle Live show on the company's Facebook Live page, go to facebook.com forward slash Drew Estate Cigar. Drew Estate announced that it will hold a Bitcoin sweepstakes with numerous incredible prizes during upcoming Freestyle Live events, including a grand prize of one full Bitcoin for a lucky fan to be announced during the February 17th. 2022 edition of Freestyle Live. As of today, that one Bitcoin is valued at $66,000. $66,000? Entry into this unheralded Drew Estate Bitcoin sweepstakes is simple. During each of the company's three upcoming Freestyle Live events, October 15th, you missed that one, or hopefully you didn't miss it, November 11th, And then January 20th of next year, the company will randomly select the names of five people who attend the online show and comment during specific times in each broadcast as potential winners of an assortment of fantastic prizes. The five winners from each of these shows will create the contestant pool of 15 people eligible to win the grand prize Bitcoin. 
as I said today, valued at 66 grand. You got to tune in to win, boys and boys and ghouls. So you'd be crazy not to do it. Get this at their upcoming freestyle live event on November 11th. Not only do you get eligible if you participate for the Bitcoin grand prize, they're giving away a $42,000 electric Ford truck. <laughs> a ATV that's like 15 grand and one of those huge Drew Estate mega bars for your house that's valued at almost two grand. They are giving away some insane stuff. Is this the- stuff that is this stuff that we can register or are they gonna be like, no, 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 your friends the Drew Estate? I think they do that thing at the end where like, you know, if you're if you're in any way whatsoever affiliated Damn. with yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to flood their comments with Chub Rock is the greatest rapper of all time. I say keep that Bitcoin. I want that bar. <laughs> I think my wife would love that. I, I think my wife would Bitcoin, you can buy like 50 bars. My wife would love that monstrosity dropped into our house. I was just better than that. As a, a Magul or whatever the Turkish guy's name was, he didn't know where he is. You could just claim the prize under his name. I'm going under the name Ron Honcho. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Man, I'd love to win that Bitcoin and then immediately sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, dude. Nothing like it, this is unprecedented in the cigar world. The, the amount of stuff they're giving away—it's awesome. Only Drew Estate would do something like this. True disruptors in the industry, much like ourselves. Much like Chub Rock. Much like, well, he was disrupting. Uh, but before I move on, I'd also like to take a minute to talk about something very cool: Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. I know you like that, doctor. Research, testing. Love a good lab environment. Getting your fingernails dirty with true science in the world of cigars. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. Blooded him with science. Boop, 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 boop. Science. <laughs> well, boys, we've talked about what we're drinking. Let me take a sip to wet my whistle. Oh yes, let's get into this bad boy. I am ready. We've talked about what we're smoking. Now's time to talk about what we watched. 2021 just opened in theaters and on the Peacock streaming uh channel this last friday halloween kills we actually did uh the previous installment of the halloween franchise halloween 2018 we did the same format where we go to the theaters and um watch the movie and then dropped into the podcast and talked about it so tonight's show is gonna be a little different usually i take you scene by scene through the movie so you're going to have to forgive me tonight because I didn't have the, the privilege of having it at home to study and rewind and all that. So I, I'll probably be lumping some themes together. I'll probably, if I skip over something, then you're like, hey, that was important. Jump in. It's going to be a little more freeform tonight, what we do. Maybe freestyle live, you might say. We're not going to be giving away Bitcoins, though. That's about to say, we can't afford that. Come on. 
No, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to be giving away some little bitcoins. A little bit. A uh, little bit. Tonight's we're sponsoring a giveaway of chit coins. I have you know a what? over here somewhere. You know what? Tonight we should do a giveaway. I'm going to give away this Tuesday Night Cigar Club in gray flat. Oh, God, Doctor, I'm sorry. I promised that to you. I knew I was never going to get it. <laughs> oh, no, that's got your name on it. Um, but yeah, we we did this with the first Halloween, and it, it was a, it was a good show. Um, as longtime loyal listeners uh, will know, the doctor and I, especially, to say that we're hardcore fans of this franchise doesn't really scratch the surface. The amount of time, the amount of time we've spent watching each individual film repeatedly from John Carpenter's 1978 original to the sequel uh, to the, I don't know, probably 200 viewings of part three to the probably 500 viewings of part four. Uh, even the shitty ones five and, and the bus, the, the Buster rhymes part, uh, you know, part eight, We've seen them all, and we've seen them all in a, an embarrassing amount of times. Not embarrassing. I'm not embarrassed by it, but we love this franchise. It's it's been in it's been, it's been a part of us since we were kids. This is one of the things that brought the doctor and I together is sitting and watching these movies over and over and over again on VHS, and not saying a word to each other, and just we couldn't watch them enough. I here in the corner, no hope. There's an entire wall dedicated to Halloween memorabilia. You know, every figure you could possibly imagine of Michael Myers, of Dr. Loomis, of Laurie Strode. It's 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 just it's perme- it's permeated into our lives for four decades now. And you know, I think going into this film, and uh, Doctor, I'll let you comment on this. I tried to take a different approach than when I went into 2018, uh, the, the movie that takes place right before tonight's, because I went into that with they 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 got a very um, acclaimed director who'd done a lot of very serious independent films. He also did a lot of you know Pineapple Express and a lot of pop you know popular comedies. He kind of gone in that route. But he, he was a, a real Hollywood director, which these movies don't usually get that that kind of IMDb name attached to them. And we didn't like it. And we kind of picked it apart on that show, from what I remember. But then upon watching it again a few months later, I went into it like, you know, I'm just going to watch this like I'm popping in part five or part six or part eight and just watch it as a Halloween film and not that it's trying to be something different or better. Just watch it as a Halloween film and be lucky that I've got it. And I enjoyed it a lot more. I love the stuff that bothered me, the humor and the, 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 the odd choices they made in the narrative didn't bother me as much. And then I will say this, I watched the 2018 film, which takes place before the same night as tonight's film, right before watching hours before watching tonight's film Halloween kills and it bothered me even less. I enjoyed it as a straight up. We got Michael back on screen. So many of the things that bothered me just washed off my shoulders. Um, So on repeated viewings, that film I really warmed up to. And I tried to carry that 
attitude into going into tonight's film. A, it's a Halloween film. I'm going to just, I want to be entertained and I want to, and I just want to see Michael do his thing. Anything it gives me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be more open to this experience than I was last time. I didn't realize I was being jaded and, and highly critical walking into that last one, but I really tried to go into this one with a different attitude. Uh, Doctor, you said you had the same experience on revisiting 2018's Halloween. I did. Uh, I won't say that I enjoyed it, um, but I, I definitely improved. It was very similar to the experience that Kay just talked about. After seeing it in the theater, I didn't like it. Then again, you know, about six or eight months later, whenever it was available for rent, I watched it and it bothered me less. There were still things that bothered me about it. Um, and then I watched it for a third time here uh, this past Friday night. Uh, so just a few days before I saw it in the theater. And it even bothered me a little less. I, I, I kind of upgraded it from not liking it the first time I saw it to it's okay. That's what I came away with. And so, well, I think Cade was able to create a better context for it by saying, I'm, I'm going in here just watching a Halloween movie and that's the context. I um, just said to myself, I'm going to try and go in here with an open mind on it and not, I didn't, I didn't really come up with that good of a context, but I just said, I'm not going to go in here and be super judgmental. I'm just going to go into this movie with an open mind because I don't okay. think I did that three years ago. Agreed. Tut. I don't remember anything about it. I remember the plot. I did remember you, some teeth rattling in the bathroom. You didn't go and, back. And, you didn't go back and watch nope. it. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I barely. I remember there was a scene where he killed a kid. Uh, there was a scene where he rattled some teeth in the bathroom stall. But I mainly remember that just because you noted it out how Michael still likes to play. You know, that's that's his. He's a playful there. slasher. He likes to play games. He he did in the first one, and and he they picked. And I, rem- they, I remember that. I remember the house fire at the end, and I was like, I wonder how they're gonna. He died in a fire. All of a sudden, he's going to resurrect Jason style. How are they going to do this? Well, that's that's the key to to leading into this film. I'm going to let Doctor actually uh, kind of talk us into the start of this movie from the end of the last one in a minute, Doc, if you don't mind. Let me just uh, let me just set this up. Uh, the movie was co-written by David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and Scott Teams. The based- Danny McBride. What's that? The Danny McBride. The, the Danny McBride. They, he also okay. co-wrote the the last one, uh, based of course on characters in a story by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and it's also directed by David Gordon Green. This film takes place directly after the same night, to be exact, the events of the last film, uh, Halloween 2018, which we were just discussed. Doctor, if you wouldn't mind, just that last scene of the film. Uh, 2018s could you kind of lead us into how that film ended sure so um and it's a rather suspenseful ending especially upon the latest viewing but uh we have laurie strode played again by jamie lee curtis um and uh, her daughter karen played by judy greer and uh granddaughter allison played by andy matichak or i'm not sure how to pronounce her last i don't know name. how to say it either no 
Um, but anyway, so they they have uh, trapped Myers um, in Lori's kind of compound uh, ranch house out in the middle of nowhere, more or less. Um, and uh, they've trapped him in a series of cat and mice, cat and mouse uh, uh, maneuvers. They've trapped him in the basement. Um, Lori has, I believe, a series of, of pipes, whether it's ether or something uh, reminiscent of the original Halloween 2. But they've trapped Michael in the, in the basement, um, barricaded him down there. And uh, Lori has been wounded in, in this battle and she lights a, a flare, throws it down there. And, and you know, the flames begin. Uh, they go outside and I, I believe they're able to hail a, a passing vehicle a truck of some kind to get in it and drive off as Myers stands down there still as a cigar store Indian. And uh, the flames begin to uh, rise up around him. And that's how that the 2018 film ended. Uh, that was a very succinct synopsis. Thank you, doctor. Um, so yes. So that's where we ended all these years that uh, Lori waited for Michael to escape and come find her. When he did get to her house, this basement, which was uh, seemingly a refuge to hide from Michael and be safe from Michael, she had actually rigged as a trap for Michael, which with her daughter, Karen's help, who she had trained as a child to survive. And it obviously had a very damaging impact on their mother-daughter relationship, so much so that Karen was removed from Lori's custody at a young age. But it all came to a head where they actually get Michael trapped down there as according to plan. And Laurie sets the house on fire and he's locked down there. And it's when the movie ends, he's down there burning alive as the women drive off in the back of a pickup truck, much like uh, Sally Hardesty in the back of Texas chainsaw massacre. There's always a guy in a pickup truck driving around when you need him. Uh, sure. Hop in the back. Um, so that's where we ended things. So we kick things off tonight uh, in the, in the last film, teenage Allison, Lori's granddaughter went to the Halloween dance with her boyfriend, Cameron Elam. Uh, they went as Bonnie and Clyde only it's 2018. So she dressed it as she dressed as Clyde and he dressed as Bonnie. And we find him still in his dress. Uh, and he discovers officer Hawkins unconscious and bleeding out on the road where he was stabbed by Michael Myers, evil psychiatrist, Dr. Sartain in the last film. Uh, just a re quick recap. We won't need much of these tonight because it mainly moves the narrative forward. Officer Hawkins was a, a police officer in the last film who apparently was on the scene the night that Myers or originally committed his killings back in 78 uh, he really wants to catch Myers in the last film. But before he can do so, he smashes Myers with his patrol car. Uh, Myers' evil doctor, psychiatrist, Dr. Sartain, kills Hawkins. And with a, knife, a little pen knife to the throat. And then in an effort to save Michael, because he wants to experience why Michael kills. And he can only do that if Michael keeps killing and Hawkins was getting in the way of that. I could have swore in 2018. He also drove over Hawkins body in that patrol car. Am I wrong in that doctor? 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember that. I just remember that I was not at all at all a fan of Dr. Sartain and it, it didn't, you know, his involvement in the movie at all. And quite honestly, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't understand the need for Officer Hawkins in the first movie. I thought they could have made that first movie a little bit tighter, even even on my final viewing, if they just really didn't have those people. Well, he's still alive, and teenage uh, boyfriend Cameron finds him. And that leads us to a very lengthy flashback scene to Cameron's father, Lonnie Elam, who Halloween fans will remember. He was the little kid who bullied little Tommy Doyle, the boy who was babysat by Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode from the original 78 film. And now we see Lonnie being bullied himself later that night by some older teens. I think it's worth pointing out real quick, Cade, too, if I may. Sure. if you are not a hardcore fan, especially of the especially of the first movie, uh, this can be a little bit problematic for you. There's a lot of characters like Lonnie Elam, Tommy Doyle that you really, if you just saw Halloween once 20 years ago, it's going to be difficult or 30 years ago. If you haven't seen it multiple times, these names really don't mean anything to you. And and obviously that's not a setback for me or a setback for Cade. I can see it being a setback for a lot of other people, though. For Ted, maybe? Hello, I'm not. I'm the resident, not a hardcore Halloween fan. Uh, I appreciate it, and I like the movie, and I respect the movie, but I've only seen it just, you know, less than five times, maybe. And uh, I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know any of these characters. Uh, and so far, it was confusing in terms of just the amount of flashbacks popping in and out. But in terms of like needing to know the characters for this story, I didn't feel that I didn't feel too set back. Uh, to me, that was just being introduced to new characters. Okay. Well, I could I could see it as being well, a major setback. And I think that's what kind of like you know what, what you just said about the first movie with Hawkins, like he didn't really need to be there. But I think that's kind of why they did the flashback here at the beginning of the film to take the the these two movies as they're basically one movie as they're occurring on the same day and then tie them to the original source material. And so it works for your hardcore fans and then it gives enough of a filler for your new people. I, to, to I, it all together. Yeah. And I think what Tut just said rings true where to him, it was just being introduced to t- the characters that we're going to spend time with in tonight's movie. Uh, whereas Doctor and I have a little more history and we kind of tied it into yet another movie. But for Tut, yeah, we're getting introduced to some people that we're going to spend some time with tonight. I also think it's kind of important to realize that at the end of the last film, Lori was very badly injured as she's being driven off in that pickup truck. So there's not a lot she can do in this movie. And you've kind of got to give more weight and gravity towards some of the other characters because let's face it, Lori can't really do shit in this movie. Um, I'm going to get to whether that's works or not. I don't, I don't think it does, but um, here's, I'm going to kind of lump all because we see a couple flashbacks. I'm going to kind of lump them all into this opening flashback. It's all really, it's, it's already a really lengthy flashback to open the film. I would just but like ba- to comment on what Tut said uh, because that's I hadn't thought of that, and and that's a very interesting point to me because 
um, it's showing that uh, one's enjoyment of this film. I felt I felt like the filmmakers, the writers, I felt like they hinged a lot on stuff for the hardcore fans. And Tut's comment that, hey, I you know who Lonnie Elam, Tommy Doyle, who Lindsay Wallace was. Is like no, they're just kind of new people that that claim to have a backstory, and so okay, that that's actually that's a valid point that I didn't really think about. Yeah, no, I liked I, I liked getting that from Tattoo because it's yeah. like we spend a lot of time with those specific characters in this film, and it actually makes me kind of rethink. I because I felt like the filmmakers just I, I'm it was a really good point to because I felt like they hinged a lot on thinking. This is going to be cool because it's Lonnie Elam. This is going to be cool because it's Lindsay Wallace. And while that, you know, to Tut, who's like, I don't, I've seen the movie a few times. It's been a while. I don't remember their names. Yeah, it, it, okay. As a, as a, as a hardcore Star Wars fan, hardcore Star Wars fan, I, I see where you're coming from because that's my biggest deal with all the call outs to old original characters and stuff from the original stuff is that eventually you have to have a story and you have to be able to deliver on a story because yeah, it's cool that you got these old characters in it, but what, what, what does it all mean if it's a boring, boring deal? Yeah. But coming into this fresh with Halloween, yeah, it's just interesting characters. Like I, I recognized some of the older characters, like the old sheriff, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember him. But, yeah, these, these guys, I, I didn't know who they were. These are definite call-outs. But, yeah, uh, but, uh, okay. Into this. Well, already I, I'm kind of appreciating this approach they did from a different light because of what you said, Tut. That's interesting. Um, well, we also, in these flashbacks, find out exactly what happened with Hawkins that fateful night, because we'd heard in the last film, he was there that night that Michael was captured and that he could have stopped him. That's why he ran him over with his car. Cause he was like going to f- unfinished business. And he didn't turns out he was a rookie that night in 78 who got trigger shy when confronting Myers. They go into the Myers house, he and his partner. And in the original film, Sheriff Brackett finds a, a dead dog that he says, it, you know, it looks like somebody ate him and we never see the dog, but here we actually see a dog with his stomach ripped open. We get to see things that were only alluded to in the, in the original film, which I really kind of thought was a cool touch. And as they're going through the Myers house, the shape attacks his partner. And they recreated the original mask, the original William Shatner mask. It was damn close to looking like the mask in the original film. And as his partner is being strangled by a rope by Michael Myers, Hawkins gets trigger shy and can't can't get a clean shot at him. And I also thought back on this doctor when Brackett's talking to the girls in the first film and he talks about somebody broke into the hardware store, stole they stole, rope. they stole a mask, some rope. We never saw him really do anything with rope except maybe tie Bob up swinging upside down in the, in the closet in the first film. But dude, he's strangling with a rope and he's, he's, he's killing his partner. Hawkins pulls the trigger and ends up shooting his partner in the neck, killing him. 
instead of Myers. Hawkins is paralyzed by the moment. Uh, he can't do anything. So Myers ends up walking outside where Dr. Loomis is waiting along with some the other Haddonfield police department. And when Loomis goes to shoot Myers, he's, he's pure evil. He has to die. Hawkins stops, grabs Dr. Loomis and stops him from killing Myers. So that's his guilt all these years that he didn't let Loomis kill Myers that night. Here's the big thing that blew my mind after watching this film. I'm watching this flashback and then I see Dr. Loomis and he's talking and I told Yaks, Yak Boy and I watched the movie together in the theater. I thought it was like a, a Princess Leah thing where they recreated him digitally. And it was a, a CGI Dr. Loomis. It wasn't. It was, get this. There's a guy, the construction coordinator on the film, Tom Jones Jr., who they thought looked a lot like Donald Pleasance. They put him through hours of makeup. That was actually a, a real dude. It was, it was, it was done job. so well that it was it done was so not, well I didn't even think about it. I did. It was, I yeah. forgot that. Oh, wow. It was not CGI all. It was actually an actor made up to look like Loomis. A different actor, the same one who did the Loomis voiceovers in 2018 when they listened to the recordings of his his Myers tapes. Another guy did the voice. But, dude, that was actually just the, the construction coordinator made up to look like Loomis. So well done. I didn't even notice. I didn't I didn't think twice about it. I Thanks. thought the Bronski. I, I was so certain that it was CGI that they had recreated Loomis – digitally well i'm probably sure that they did or they probably did some tests and they were like there's no way we need something which in like the, the majority of this film was i mean was it was all practical so i can respect that even more it yeah um doctor did you think it was an actor playing loomis no uh i was in the same boat that you were in only because we saw that with uh the star wars rogue one movie where they had they had a Peter Cushing and they had a mm-hmm. Carrie, they had a hit a Grand Moff Tarkin and a Princess Leah. So I, I was certain I, I thought it was a very really good recreation, but I I did not know uh, I read afterwards like you did that that was an actual guy. I was ready to slam it honestly. It's like it was just look like it was too good, and it turns out it was just a dude. Um, Unfreeze Donald Pleasance. He's been in Christmas cases this whole time. How so, are you going to slam it for being too good? <laughs> because it was How too polished. Slam it for being entirely unnecessary. It was too polished. It was too. It, it was just. Get out of here! I was wrong. I was wrong. Can I say that I was wrong? It was too polished. Looks totally fake. <laughs> I'll say this. Speaking of it, he looked too good. I. By the way, they end it with Myers standing out in front of the Myers house on his front lawn stoically as as a doctor said really good, like a cigar store Indian just standing there with the cops. And they do an identical crane shot to the original Halloween when the little little Michael Myers was on his front lawn, that high crane shot up. 
I thought the flashback stuff looked and felt really, really good, but it gave us a ton of time, screen time, developing little Lonnie and the Officer Hawkins backstories, which I didn't think made a lot of sense considering adult Lonnie isn't much more than a throwaway character in tonight's film. And, and Officer Hawkins doesn't have anything to do in this movie other than give Lori someone to talk to in their shared hospital room as they recover her very rapidly. So, but we'll get to that later. What did y'all think of this flashback? It was really cool to see if you're going to pick up after the first film and ignore two through 11. I thought, I, it was, think- I thought it was really ambitious to try to fill in the gap of what happened that night. And I thought they pulled it off really well. It's actually one of my favorite things in the film, the way that they they showed how if my if Myers got captured that night, which they said in the last film, I liked that they showed us how. I, I I actually dug it and I think they pulled it off really well. It looked like very similar to the the original film. It went did. on a little too went on a little too long for me. The Lonnie yeah. stuff the Lonnie stuff especially. Oh, but, the whole flashback sequence dragged on far too long for me. I thought the Lonnie stuff, especially because it was just, it ends up being kind of unnecessary. But I thought it, the Myers house stuff with, with Hawkins and, and his partner encountering. Oh, and by the way, I, sh- I should mention um, at the end of the night, Hawkins superior uh, switches guns with him. And says, just say that Myers got a hold of your gun and shot him. And uh, so he, he got off. They never even knew he killed his partner. And it was an accident. But again, we're giving a lot of backstory and weight to a guy who just lays in a hospital bed for this entire movie. Yeah. Well, I, it I, almost it almost feels to me like they were, you know, like f- from the prior movie. Obviously, some people, you know, probably came in and like, what? It doesn't make any sense. And it feels like this opening is sort of almost is almost like fan service. Well, people asked us questions. We'll answer those questions at the start of this movie. I saw it as when I look back on it. You've got your main protagonist, Laurie Strode, who you set up at the end of the last movie with a giant her belly slit open. She can't do anything in this movie, so you've kind of got to build up some other characters and eat up a lot of screen time that's not Laurie centric. And this was a this was a very effective way to do it. Um, it was hit or miss. It, 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 it worked for me, and at the same time, like Doctor said, it, it it was really long. It was almost twenty minutes long, I think. What I, th- what I think they're trying to do, and I've got nothing to base this off of because I don't read, I don't read the backstories and the and the stuff uh, and all this. But in the last movie, they made it a point to introduce the theme that it's not about Laurie at all. It's just about Michael, the killing machine, and he's just killing whoever's in his path. And I think what they were doing here is that they were trying to show if if you're gonna if you're gonna introduce that and you're gonna play with that, then you can't have that strong central Lori character. And I think what they were trying to do early on in this is start to set it up 
and introduce the community as a whole because that's one of the themes they try to get into tonight is the theme about how he interacted with the community. You're you're absolutely right. The the theme of part two here in a trilogy, because this is the second film in a trilogy, this the theme very much is how Myers affected the community and especially the the key participants in that original night. Um now does it work? No, it does not. No, it does not. And we're going to get into that later. But I liked the nostalgia factor. And I liked that they answered some questions about that first night. I'll leave it at that. I liked it, too. I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, did it go on a long time? I didn't really feel it that way. I, I thought that right now the pace of the movie was really good. I, I, was, I was on board and, and say, interested the entire time. And, and I'll say this. As a guy who lives and breathes these movies, when they first, when Hawkins first encounters Myers as he got up from being shot by Dr. Loomis in a back alleyway and he kind of moves through a garage and kind of escapes him, it looked like it could have come straight out of Halloween, the original Halloween 2 in 81. It looked just like Myers, that alleyway. Like they really pulled off that aesthetic of matching those, those first two films. I, I thought, I, as a fan, I thought that was really cool to see. I'll go ahead and say it. Cinematography, the movie was great. Cinematography-wise, all these shots were really, really cool. And I love some of the shots that are going to come up later. And David Gordon Green directs nothing camera-wise like John Carpenter, but he he did his best to to fit that aesthetic in these flashbacks. Uh, I, I I appreciate that. I, I it might be my favorite thing in the movie, the, the 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 Myers house stuff. Anywho, we cut then uh, after an opening title sequence where usually it's just a singular pumpkin. Uh, last time it was a pumpkin decomposing. This time it's 12 pumpkins on fire that kind of move around. I think symbolizing that this is the 12th movie in the franchise. As you see these, these pumpkins swirl around and, and burn from within, I'm guessing. Um, we cut to Lori as her house burns. Lori daughter, Karen and granddaughter, Allison are being driven in the back of a pickup truck to the hospital with Lori screaming at the passing fire trucks that are zooming past them. Let him burn, let him burn. And they should have, shouldn't they? Yes. And it's still good to see Jamie Lee Curtis on the film. Oh, it always is. She's one of my 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 top favorite screen presences, uh, male or female. I I love Jamie me some Jamie Lee, but yes, they should have absolutely let him burn because then we see Michael be rescued by the Haddonfield Police Department, and as soon as they give him a helping hand out of that basement, he proceeds to slaughter. It's kind of redundant. Michael Myers slaughters. Oh my God! Violently. Got he opens up a can of whoop corn on some firefighters. I have got. I've got. Kills, to, okay. He kills the entire Haddonfield Police Department. And here's the thing: the minute he steps out on that front porch, which is a pretty epic shot of the it's flames great. behind him. As soon as he steps out on that porch with the flames behind him and half his mask melted to his face, they know exactly that they're about to get into it because they start 
Oh, Grab- you see, you see the one guy like tightens his hands around. Okay, so so we got that glorious shot of the fireman on behind him and Michael on the porch. He's got that pickaxe or that door axe, whatever, in his hands. What is that called? And- uh, uh, Yaks, yeah, that tool that the firemen use. That's a, a well. I mean, basically, it's just a fireman's crowbar. Yeah. And uh, I've I've only been used to Michael, you know, squaring up one on one with people to where it's like single shot kills. And so I was like, oh, wait, are are they really about to do this? And then all of a sudden it cuts over to the other fireman who's thumping his axe. I was like, oh, shit, they're going to do this. And then he wholesale slaughters them. And this was the point where I was like, I want to know what our purists think. I want to know what Cade and Mincy think about this new this new Michael. This might be one of my this is this is one of my favorite sequences in the movie, um, because in Halloween four from 30 years earlier, they hint at something like this when they go back to the police station and there's just dead bodies lying around. And it was kind of like, man, I would have liked to see that because normally you just see him go take on one person at a time. And it was like clearly when he went into that police station in 1988, he was taking on four or five different dudes. And it was like, in this case, there's like 10 of them. I, I, I really enjoy this sequence uh, of, of, of that. And, am, and, I, am I wrong in thinking that this is kind of his Vader scene in Rogue One? Where you're talking mm-hmm. about how evil this guy is and how much of a killer this guy is. And it's like Vader. You never really see Vader just, you know, go and commit just mass mayhem. Here's like a good parallel to it because we we just see we see a lot of same thing. Here, here's where you can make a comparison there, in, in my opinion. A lot of time you've got somebody who's got a reputation as a fearsome badass, but usually they're taking on one person, and very very often, 99 percent of the time, that one person's overmatched, and you're like. This person could take on a bunch of other people who don't know what they're up against or think they know what they're up against. So that that's not a, that to me that's that's an apt comparison. I like the scene. I like them showing him do that. We know he can, and I think they do it very well here because even though it's extremely violent, the gore is quick cutting. Yeah, I think a lot of, later on there's a lot of gore for gore's sake, and I think they they have it happen quickly. He just starts whipping ass. I, mean, I loved it. I loved it. I, 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 it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Doctor, that was a great throwback to the police station in H4. I hadn't thought about that because you're right. I know that those movies are not in this universe because according to these movies, those movies didn't happen. But yeah, you wonder when Michael strolled into the Haddonfield Police Department in H4 and wiped out the whole PD. We never got to see that. This is what it would have looked like. Uh, I, I loved it too, and and you're right. But 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 again, this goes with my comment that this dude does not direct like Carpenter. It was very fast cuts, uh, not Expendables crazy fast cuts, but it was yeah. it was literally these guys had no time to to think what they were seeing because the minute they kind of wrapped their heads around it, he was killing them. And I think that's that, I think that was an intentional pace too. I think because this the first act of this thing is so well paced. I, I, yeah. All right. Keep going. Go, keep going. I'm all up on it. Well, we then head over to a local Haddonfield bar uh, that's holding a talent show of all things, 
And in fact, they now grown Lonnie Elam, the little boy that bullied uh, Tommy Doyle that we saw a flashback of earlier is in charge of amateur night at the bar. He's like the old Tom of this bar. <laughs> uh, that's a reference to O'Brien's, uh, which will not make sense to anybody but us. And stepping up on the stage after a, a really bad ventriloquist act uh, to grab the mic is a now fully grown Tommy Doyle, the boy who was babysat by Laurie Strode in the original film, to recite kind of a spoken word poem of sorts about that night back in 1978 that changed both him and the town of Haddonfield forever. He's joined by childhood friend Lindsay Wallace, again played by Kyle Richards, who played Lindsay Wallace in the original film. Uh, she's much more now. She's one of those real housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever. She's, that's kind of her. She hasn't acted in years, but I, I thought she did really well here. I thought she held her own. And fellow Michael Myers survivor, Nurse Marion, again played by Nancy Stevens. She was the nurse in the car with Loomis at the beginning of Halloween. She also made an appearance in Halloween 2. And she was also killed by Myers in H2O in the opening scene, uh, which this movie doesn't factor in. But interestingly enough, it does make her in the franchise the only character to be killed by Myers twice. Um <laughs> uh, but they all get nice to, little trivia night for they, you. It's implied they all get together every Halloween and celebrate uh, making out of that night alive. Real quick, Doctor, who is playing Tommy Doyle in tonight's film? Oh man, uh, playing Tommy Doyle, uh, the one, the only 1980s stalwart of many a John Hughes movie, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Farmer Ted. It's Rusty Griswold. <laughs> Rusty Griswold, Farmer Ted. Uh, wait, okay. There was Ian and Wyatt in Weird Science. Yeah, which one was he? I thought he did pretty good. Uh, I, I like I like watching Anthony Michael Hall on screen, uh, whether he does a guest appearance on Psych or you know something like this. I, there's something about him that I, I, I like. Uh, I don't like watching videos of him in a Austin swimming pool cussing everybody out, telling them to go fuck themselves. We all have our moments lost in the woods, Tut. <laughs> but I, I enjoy him on screen. I, I like watching. I actually, in these early scenes, I did like him. I liked him in the bar. I liked that he wasn't like a hothead, like he – he he was kind of measured in his in his reading up on stage, and he seemed kind of cool with the locals, especially yeah. the locals that didn't know. Because a lot of Haddonfield is the younger generation who doesn't really know what happened that night, and he's kind of gracious with them. I thought he was I thought he was really good early on. Well, uh, I think that I think that's, but that I think later on is script fault, not his fault. Uh, He's got stuff to work with here, and so he's working with it. Later on, he doesn't here, really have a lot of work with. Here's an interesting side note. I read an interview with the, the director, and he was asked if they had ever considered bringing Paul Rudd back to play Tommy Doyle because he played Tommy Doyle in Halloween 6. It was Paul Rudd's first screen appearance right before he did Clueless. 
And you know, a lot of fans probably would think that'd be really cool to see. And I think he, he said it very, very well. And he made the right call. Paul Rudd is such a, a face and he's known for such comedic things at this stage of his career or Ant-Man or, you know, Anchorman or other movies that end with man. He's like, I was just afraid that if we, if we even thought about bringing Paul Rudd in for this, it would just completely bring people out of the film. I wanted a Tommy that was just grounded and, Let's face it, if you didn't know that was Anthony Michael Hall, if you didn't know that was Rusty Griswold, he's so unrecognizable at this point. He's got, a shave, he's, got a, he's got a shaved head. He's kind of beefy now. He's kind of husky guy. Like, if you didn't know that was Anthony Michael Hall, the kid from The Breakfast Club, you probably wouldn't even pick up that it was him. And that, that was a smart move. Eh, I disagree with oh, that move. Oh. I'm like, if you write him well enough and you direct him well enough, eh, then he'll give you he'll give you a good performance. All right, it's the same way with putting Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting or Dead Poets Society. You know? I don't know. I I think Paul Rudd would have been a hey, it's Paul Rudd, uh, and these movies don't need a hey, it's Paul Rudd in them. Instead, you got hey, it's Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, but I don't think he's got that that ruddness about him at this well, point. Well, he's he's not an Avenger. That's well, true. that was the first ruddiness. thing I thought when I saw him. I was like, it's Anthony Michael Hall, Farmer Ted. He has well, ruddiness. Oh, oh, and I meant the skin tone. Well, you uh, get the you get the feeling that he and Lindsay and Nurse Marion get together every Halloween and have some champagne. Well, well, the bartender who is like one of my top top five characters of this. He, he tells them, he's like, yeah, they come in all the time and, you know, they, they tell stories about how it was yesterday. You know, they drink the, they drink their worries away. Am I the only one who thought the bartender was memorable? Oh, he was memorable. All right. And the way that, yeah, I'm with Cade. Oh, I, I, I love. One, one, I, in the IMAX theater with super surround sound and exquisite, I couldn't understand half of what he said. He and sounded two, like that recently disgraced LSU coach Ed Orgeron. He, <laughs> he, he did have a very Ed Orgeron. Uh, oh, uh, oh, 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 down to Bayou. <laughs> but I love this dude. Which you know we're not in Louisiana. We're supposedly in Illinois. But it's just hard watching this scene because Haddonfield, again, in an entry that is that is not canon for this. Uh, series in Halloween four Earl's bar, the Oasis was the absolute Haddonfield bar and Earl behind the bar. He is the absolute Haddonfield bartender bar owner. And I just, if these guys want to give shout outs to characters from other movies and they do, and they do, you make it the oasis, and you make it Earl behind that bar. Okay, I didn't have the I didn't have the history on that one, so I can understand why you'd be disappointed with that. And there, but the thing is, and though that's Tut, that's me and Mincy projecting our franchise love, and that's you as someone without that who was just fine with it. So I think that's important 
to get it both is. perspectives. I think they're making it for both of us, though. I think they're. I think there's yeah. a lot of stuff here that it's like the fans are really gonna appreciate this, and and I think that a lot of stuff where the fans are really gonna appreciate this was a failure. Yeah. Earl yeah. would get a talent show inside the Oasis. <laughs> no, hell no. Uh, but Tut, I, I this bartender did nothing to me. Uh, nothing for me. Well, while the Strode women are getting settled into the hospital, fully believing that Michael's now burned alive and, or, you know, he's dead, the shape finds his first batch of fresh victims post house fire. An old interracial couple that lives near Lori's burning house, they can hear the fire trucks nearby. Uh, they get killed when the husband discovers Myers hanging out in their bathroom. This is the kind of quirky stuff from these writers and, and the director that doesn't sit well with me. Like the old woman is flying a drone around. Why would she be doing that? Um, that those little things like they don't belong in a Halloween film and it, 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 it's stupid. But I did like when she flew the drone into the bathroom where Myers is, he just throws it out. That was kind of cool. He has, he has no patience for drones. <laughs> I guess maybe he was in the bathroom. I mean, the guy just fought off that fire department. He's probably looking for like bandages, maybe. He also, in the last film, got half his hand blown off by Lori's shotgun. So he he could have been, you know, it's Myers. He could have been looking for some kind of bandages or something. The minute that guy goes in the bathroom, though, and turns on the light, I love that scene because Myers bashes the fluorescent light over the sink to bring back in darkness. And then he just goes full throttle. He actually grabs a fluorescent light tube and stabs it in the gut of the, the old black woman throws it in the throat, throat. or in the, is in the throat. throat. Yeah. Uh, Dude, okay. First of all, I, oh, I can't, I guess this is weird. This might be the running theme tonight. I like this couple. I like their banter to me. They were fun. Uh, but what was impressive is uh, man, when Michael goes in to kill the husband, there's no hesitation at all. There is none. There's no there's no drawback. There's no like of that, you know, you're not going to see the knife raised. You're not going to see it. It's just straight at this dude, stab straight on into it. And same way with the woman, uh, t- grabs, uh, well, now there is a little bit of play there where he, sm- he grabs a fluorescent light tube, breaks it, looks at it, then looks at her, and then just no, no, no. straight through the throat. Then it's something new to kill with, and he likes that. I, I suppose now's a good a time as any to talk about Michael's kills this time around. The kills are all random and very brutal. I thought the initial killing of this old couple was great. When Myers lays the old guy after he's killed him over a table and just starts stabbing every knife from the kitchen into his back out of focus. You're focused on her face as she watches her husband be this huge, this huge oh, brutal human knife rack. He literally just takes knife after knife and sticks it in this guy. Yak's theory was he was just trying to see which knife was the sharpest to take with him. He's out of practice. He's like, you know, he hasn't used a knife in forever. I took it. I, I took it as something different. I took it as old Michael theater where he's just enjoying the stab. He's just that that moment that a knife goes into a warm body is what fuels him. And as he put knife after knife after knife 
into that old guy right in front of his wife, making her watch him. That's to me, that's what the shape is. He's evil. He's heartless. He's a great white shark on land. And this scene of him stabbing just for the state, the sake of stabbing. It was my favorite kill scene in the whole film. I, I think, I think you're onto something because there's a line at the end where it talks about he grows stronger as he kills and I think that this is his way of getting some of his mojo back is just ramming this knife. It's like a video. Again. It's like a it's like a video game where you can build up your your power source. <laughs> but Every- I have to I have to mention one scene. I I sent you a shot of it on on Messenger uh, when I saw yes. it. Right when he right when he jams the fluorescent tube into the lady's throat, and you, it's got a full it's got a front focus on her, and in the background, you know, they got. I'm sure it was done in After Effects. Uh, you see his reflection. In, in, you see the mask's reflection in the window behind it. I thought it was great cinematography. I was on board, and I'm loving it. Now, one thing, though, he does the head talk or the head tick, and he does it twice. And I'm like, okay, that's – It was a bit much. I'm going to hold on to that because he does it after every fucking kill in this movie. Yeah, they, they over they overdo that because it, it's a novelty uh, that Bob stabbed to the wall in the 78 film where he's kind of admiring his artwork of stabbing this guy to the wall. Okay, give it one nod. and One admire. nod to throw away and then go on. Yeah, they, they, they went a little too far. I, yeah. I'll, agree, I'll agree with you on that. The whole scene was stupid. They didn't need to have it. The only thing that could have saved it is if they showed Myers in their bathroom pinching a loaf. And like as the drone comes in, he's like he's sitting there and he's like swats it away because he's trying to finish his shit. Uh, That would have been the only thing that could have saved it. We've just seen him take out the whole fire department. The violence here is unnecessary. Okay, he finishes, stabs the dude with the knives he doesn't need. He finally gets the one knife he likes and doesn't bury it in. So he walks off with it. Only thing that could have saved it is Myers taking a shit. The whole scene is stupid. Don't need it. Mincy, you're stabbing me in the heart with these hey, comments. Hey, for the first time tonight, I'm going to disagree with the doctor. Uh, I the, These people are actually the only people in the film. Well, you know, I think they did such a good job in such a short time with these two characters. I mean, literally, we get to see them for like uh, exactly like 60 seconds. Yeah, but I, and they, even with the little drone, which I kind of was like, "What's this?" They establish that dynamic. You, you, you like those characters. You really cared. Bad. You cared, no, and no, you I, got no, scared. No, no, no. It's your horseshit, man. I'm, ha- I'm, I'm half Mency, half you guys. I didn't care about these people. I thought the drone and then pouring wine, the, their whole getting to know you bullshit was terrible. But. He was just these people. The only these are the only people that get killed in this movie that don't meddle and they don't ask for it. Everyone else is out there looking for him and they get killed because they they got they got their noses in his business. Hey, he's a great white shark. He just kills because you're in his what? I I love the brutality of this kill scene. It was pure the shape. Is pure the evil. I love the way it was done. I disagree with the doctor that it was unnecessary. I disagree with you guys that it was their characters were well developed. They were total horseshit. No, no, no. I didn't no, say no, no, that. I just said I like them. I said just in a very short amount of time, they gave you enough to care about them slightly. 
Like you didn't just think like it was just like two random people. I mean, yeah, you, could, you could have just walked in and these people could have walked in from getting groceries. Yeah, and you know what? Stuff. Halloween. Halloween too. They had Miss Elrod making a ham sandwich. I cared more about her than I do these two. Wrong, doctor. I'm right. Wrong. I don't care about these two at all. Don't don't need the whole scene. Interesting okay. perspectives. That's why we're here, folks. That's, That's why, why we're here, folks. That's why we're here. All right. Well, as we saw in this last episode, Michael is still uh, purely evil. The way he treated this poor elderly couple. Uh, which leads me to my next beer, Yaks, if you would introduce it. The Evil Catfish from Barrow Brewing Company. Barrow Brewing Company Evil Catfish. Of course, the Evil Catfish named for a local legend there in the village of Salado for a catfish that is evil within the Salado Creek, uh, 6.3%, 56 IBUs. It's a very smooth IPA. It's got a beautiful uh, profile. You can't really see it. Uh, it's much lighter than what you're seeing on screen here. Um, I decided to downshift from the Imperial Full Contact because um, I'm getting a lot more mineral coming through on the cigar in this uh, in this final the act. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, right towards the beginning of the, the, the last third. Uh, okay. Some of that Nicaraguan mineral is playing out with the cedar and uh, that breadiness. And I thought that uh, maybe a little downshift in beer's power would uh, would complement that well. Um, and it is. Uh, I, I, it's one of my go-to IPA. I really like the evil catfish. Obviously, it pairs very well with our evil villain in tonight's film uh if, if you, michael if michael myers had a facebook account i could totally see him doing some evil catfishing totally todd are you getting that mineral too i am uh, i'm a little bit early and i'm a little bit uh behind you on it but i can tell that it's picking up yeah and the spice is kicking up into full territory again on that retro hail it and is man that spice kicked back up i love that when that initial spice that kicked my ass makes a reappearance. Um, yeah. And forget the raisin. It's just full blast pepper on the nose now with the mineral, the, the cedar and the, that breadiness on the thing. It's a good little cigar and construction wise, it's been p- performing great. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back in this movie. Michael also kills a bunch of bratty trick or treaters and a bunch of the town's makeshift militia led by Tommy Doyle, who are now hunting them down. You see, when the news breaks out in the bar that Myers has escaped from Smith's Grove Sanitarium and is now on the loose, Tommy gathers all the survivors and fellow drunks from the bar, again, Halloween 4 style, they and, they start, and they start scouring the town for the shape to stop him for good. Evil dies tonight, Tommy. Oh, my God, you totally glossed over one of my favorite scenes. Evil dies tonight. The uh, the doctor and nurse couple, the younger the younger couple from the bar, yeah. they go out they go out to their car and she he's like oh man I forgot my stethoscope she goes over to the car and she's like Michael Myers is in the back seat go look honey he's like oh hell no I'm sorry I busted up I cracked up at that I mean you yeah. don't have to be sorry but you're wrong. Yeah, no, the, those, that, was, that, that that scene and those characters uh, 
did nothing. Uh, it was a cheap stab at, at, at humor. Uh, it turns out that who she saw in her car was a second escaped uh, inmate or patient from Smith's Grove Sanitarium. We'll get into that later, but yeah. Uh, it was funny. Okay, well, he gets them all riled up with the ch- the chant, the mantra, evil dies tonight. When Lindsay, Nurse Marion, and the married doctor and nurse that Tut was uh, alluding to come across Myers as they're hunting through the town for him because they're trained for that, uh, they finally find him in a park, and he makes mincemeat of them all. Dude... I love the doctor and nurse kill shots. They were great. He stabs the, it's the husband's a nurse. The wife's a doctor. He stubs, stabs the husband in the eyeball. Uh, Good looking scene. Uh, nurse Marion, poor nurse Marion has a gun, but when she gets out to shoot Myers, who's on top of the car, he slams the door and she ends up blowing her own brains out. I know. Loved it. Uh, he kills the, the wife. But get this, Lindsay runs away, and I thought this scene of her running down and hiding in the creek bed with him stalking her was by far the most tense scene in the film. You have a very still, patient Michael trying, literally he stops and just tries to smell her fear. And she's just a few feet away behind this tree trying to control her breathing. And this this is what Halloween was based on, this kind of stuff, this kind of tension. Yeah. This is what the first film was all about, and this is the only time you get it in this movie. Now we're talking. That scene where Lindsay is hiding from Myers, and he's stalking her, and once again, like when she was a little girl, she survived. She's one of the few actually he pulled shit off and survived him. I like that moment. It's, it's just a really earned tent tension-filled scene between him and Lindsay. He killed all our friends. He killed the trick-or-treaters. And in playful faction, he put Halloween 3 masks on all the dead bodies and put them on a uh, whatever you call that thing that spins around in the playground. Merry-go-round. A merry-go-round. But dude, Doctor, I, I see it in your face. You love that scene. Love the scene with Lindsay. Uh, I love how I love even the first part when she goes up to the two kids that are sitting on the swings. And they're and they they say like uh, there's a guy over there, some pervert who keeps pe- peeking out and looking at us. What does he want to play peekaboo? What are we three? Yeah, and then he appears, and then he, and then she looks, and he's right at her car full of friends that she right. left behind. Thought that was a cool scene, and I don't have any problem with with the the you know violent kill scene. I think what I what I went with Kate on was why are they doing this? Why is Lindsay, who's a 50 year old woman, and Nurse Marion, who's a 70 year old woman, and these other two dipshits? Why are they getting in a car and driving around looking for trouble when they should be calling in the FBI and a SWAT team and everybody? Else? Why are they going around looking for <laughs> that was stupid? But okay, whatever. Uh, but I, the Lindsay stuff and when she runs from him and hides, that's a really cool scene right there. It's a very it's a very well constructed scene. I'm going to get to that doctor in, in a little bit. Why the survivors? I, I think it's I think it's a really interesting thing this film does where all these characters that survived that original night in 78 think they're the protagonist of this film that we're going to kill him. It's I survived it. Now I'm going to end it. 
But the, the funny thing is, is that the antagonist, the villain of the film, doesn't know who these people are or even give a shit. They have all this weight on their shoulders that they survived Michael. They stared him in the eyes. It's a bit of survivor skill. They've been living with this trauma for 40 years. And it's such a parallel to him. He doesn't remember any of these people and he doesn't give a shit about any of these people. The, the, and that's one of the things that I like about the direction of, you know, him not being, you know, one, once you take it away from him, just solely being about Lori to where he's just basically this mindless killing machine. Now you've got uh, you've got you've got a whole bunch of stuff that you can play with, and I think that they're that's what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying. You've got, you've got the survivor's guilt theme. To answer your question as to why all these people would do something like this, uh, there's going to be scenes later that you. I, I don't think they set it up right here, but I think what they're trying to establish is a bit of a uh, uh, just being caught up with a mob mentality. And I think that that's kind of what's going on here, but they don't really establish it well. No, they don't do it well at all, but we'll get into that later. Um, My two favorite victims in this film this time around were by far Big John and Little John, the gay couple who get a thrill out of the fact that they've expertly remodeled the Meyer house. Dude, they bought the Meyer house. They totally gentrified it. And I was like, it looks great. It looks great. Okay, for, I was I, I was talking with the wife here, and I was like, all right. First of all, my favorite my favorite characters in this is Big John and Little John, and I love the way that they address each other as Big John. Yes, Little John, and they they do it like almost formal formal wise. Now, so like, what I also like is that we're beyond the age of hey, we've got this gay couple, so we're just going to introduce a whole bunch of gay tropes, and you're going to laugh at it as comic relief because it's gay tropes. But they and I like that they didn't do that, that they didn't no, they introduce didn't. this as comic relief. But they did I, have they did have one gay trope that they held on and that I love is the fact that they remodeled the Myers house. I was like, you've got this decrepit old house. Of course the house hunter gay couple comes in, totally makes this house beautiful and lives in it. That's not gay. That house was run down as shit. Anybody buys it, you got to fix it up. And but they did. No, nice they did an excellent, man. They I wanted to a, move into this house. They did a wonderful flip on the Myers house. It, past the graveyard with trembling knees, faces peeking out at you from past the trees. Stop, <laughs> look, and listen. It's Big John and Little John's Halloween. What are you I listening was, to, Big John? I will say this. Big John's spinning old spooky Halloween uh, vinyl records. He's a hipster gay guy. And uh, little John just wants to watch some scary movies and eat their charcuterie board. I will say this. 12 movies, 12 movies in, I've seen a lot of people, mostly horny nubile teens, get killed by Michael. Which this film really loses points for not having more horny teenagers get killed. They don't have any. No, they don't have any, and that's a signature of any good slasher film. Jason Voorhees is rolling his eyes at this movie. But (laughs) I will put Big John and Little John in the pantheon of my favorite. In all 12 films, I will put them right up there with the best of the best of the – these guys were – I loved every time we were on scene with Big John, Little John. I agree. 
I am shocked. So, well, not shocked. I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say this. I am extremely glad to hear you say this because I thought I was going to get major shit for saying that one of my favorite things in the movie are the Big John and Little John scenes. They're the best victims in the movie. They're the, mo- they're the most well developed. They're the most well developed. I-, I didn't believe that interracial couple, elderly couple, for one minute with that drone and their their banter. It would just seem forced and stupid. I'll go further. I didn't believe much of anyone else. <laughs> I I believed Big John and Little John all the way, and that's what made every moment they were on screen priceless. These Amen. guys. I'll put the I'll put them up there with Bucky from Halloween Four. I'll put them up there with uh, you know uh, you name it from all these eleven movies. I these guys deserve to be in the top echelon of Myers victims. Man, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh... Neca makes a seven inch uh, Big John and Little John seven articulated figures i'll put them up here in the corner of no hope i just i'm glad to hear you say the tiny charcuterie board will that be on display as well neca will they'll come included with a charcuterie board and little vinyl records little john will have his little pirate suit on oh that they'll probably be posed they'll be posed at the at the the end shot big john awesome. will have removable bracelets big john, oh. will, big john will have his <laughs> Tuttle bracelets. That little cheese knife. I have this knife, little John. We're getting to that. Needless to say, if the boogeyman is ever in your house, maybe the charcuterie board isn't the best place to secure your weapons. Real quick, real quick, before Myers kills them. There's a great scene where the the little asshole trick-or-treaters who get killed by Myers, they stage a scene in front of their house where one of them bite bit into a razor blade, which is a throwback to Halloween 2. They bit into a candy apple, and their mouth is bleeding. So Big John, Little John run out to help. Meanwhile, one of those trick-or-treaters runs up and steals all the candy. But these guys get a thrill out of telling kids that they – live in the Myers house. You remember he stabbed his sister in the tits. <laughs> Doesn't Big John get a golf club or is that in the neck? Is that in a later scene? Uh, no, that's in a later scene. I also love that little John is about six or seven inches taller than Big John. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Big John's the muscle. He's the he muscle. Big John's the muscle. <laughs> but dude, they get a kick out of that they live in the Myers house. They're not a, they're not shying away from it, especially on Halloween. They love scaring little kids with stories about what Michael did in their house. These are the most fully developed, re- believable and likable characters in this whole goddamn movie. Amen. And and hey, when they thought that the kid had actually swallowed a razor and thrown it up they were concerned they were like they were going yeah. to help then when they realized no then it's like oh you fuckers you, you little bastards they're good dudes they're really good dudes i kind of wanted to party with big john little john oh you know that'd be awesome a lot of this screenwriting team's humor fails to make me crack a smile in the last film and especially this film in fact most of it rose me as artificial forced and just 
their humor is unfunny to me, but I love the two Johns and everything they brought to the table. And yes, Michael does get inside their house. And unfortunately he butchers uh, both little John and big John, especially big John. He actually uh, stabs him in the armpit, which that, yeah. for some, re- some reason that really hurts. me. <laughs> It's so tender in there. It's so tender in there. But then he reaches in and gouges his fucking eyes out. This is is one of those scenes where, I mean, it really gets into it. I mean, he just, I mean, up close. Yeah. He's got some thumbs and eye sockets. Michael's got some time to kill. He's been, uh, you know, they keep alluding to that. It might be his goal to get back to his house. He's finally back in his house and he finds these two gay guys eating charcuterie, uh, spinning vinyl records. He doesn't care for this at all. Maybe he was really just thinking green in a bedroom? Uh, never! <laughs> and why did you put the You put prosciutto next to salami? What happened to the carpet? <laughs> Smoked almonds? That's a good choice. It's a good choice. <laughs> By the way, a little pro tip for you folks at home. If you're doing a charcuterie board, you got to go with smoked almonds. Always go with smoked almonds. And here is some trivia that I know about the actors playing the two Johns. I didn't I didn't recognize uh, Big John. Little John, I, of course, recognize from Mad TV for all this. Uh, Michael McDonald. No, the other guy, he was in, uh, we actually did a movie with him. Um, Rim of the World. He was oh, in there. The, the kids, the the alien invasion with the kids. Yeah. What was he? Oh, he played a character. I re- I I recognized his face, and I was like, I couldn't he remember did, from what. He did seem very familiar. He he had a, he did have a a, a, a medium sized part in in Rim of the World. Okay, what were and you going to say? Like, obviously, his hair had, his hair was different, all that stuff. But yeah. what were you going to say, Doctor? Well, Michael McDonald, Little John, apparently is has the distinction of having been killed by both Michael Myers and Mike Myers. Apparently, he gets killed in the first Austin Powers movie. He gets run over by the steamroller. Yeah. I, that's, that's where I know him from. That's a cool bit of trivia. Big John, I knew I recognized him. His, his name is Scott MacArthur. I only saw... I don't even know if this is on the air anymore, but it was called The Mick. It was that uh, it was the chick, the blonde chick from Sunny in Philadelphia that plays Sweet D. Remember that yeah. show came on the air? Uh, he, he was, and it shows that the guy's got some range. Uh, he had kind of the same hair and same look to him, but he was her like a uh, sort of loser blue collar boyfriend in that. But he was he was very amusing. Uh, totally, he looked look the same, but very different role. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing more of what he's in. Date, thumbs up for Big John, Little John. Cross the board, man. All right. Well, the only real total misfire from my viewpoint at this stage in the movie was remember that second escaped Smith Grove Santarium patient that we mentioned uh, that Tut got a kick out of earlier. He's still on, he's still on the loose, running around Haddonfield. Uh, if you remember in the last film, uh, Doctor Sartain caused the 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 bus to crash, and all the inmates escaped, and they wrangled up everyone but two Myers and this guy. 
And he acts as sort of an accidental decoy in that whenever he shows up in his white asylum scrubs around town, people assume he's Myers and start chasing him in hot pursuit. Yay. Uh, I made it work. I made it work. Even though this guy's like barely five feet tall and looks like the blackjack dealer from Vegas Vacation with stringy long white hair. That's an insult to that man. <laughs> yes, it is. The blackjack dealer. I thought it was that guy. I thought it was. No. The- no, dude. He looked like he looked like a fucking David Crosby. David Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> How cool would it have been if they had actually hired David Crosby? Hey, speaking of which, uh, real quick, I, I, it's worth mentioning. None of you guys said anything. Speaking of long, stringy white hair, Tuck got a haircut. The ponytail's gone. Oh, wow. Now that, that didn't even notice. That you know, has all laser focused. Yaks and I are on the show. It was time. I didn't recognize him at the brewery over the weekend. Jenny was like, holy shit, is that tight? It's like, yeah. It was time. Uh, Next thing you know, he'll be remodeling that garage like the Myers house. There'll be some green drapes <laughs> hanging up. Well, here, let me let me put, let me turn the camera and show. No. I'll have some looking, Halloween jazz music playing. Looking good, my man. It's good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to. It actually kind of feels back. I started losing myself. I much didn't like know when, what I was or who I was. Much like when I grew my hair out during quarantine and I found myself putting a ponytail in. Tut sounded like he had the exact same thing where one day he looked in the mirror and was like, I don't know who this guy I'm looking at. Tuttle's garage has some new drapes. His hair no longer looks like he's from Planet of the Apes. Stop I was just working. I was just watching TV and you know, I saw a picture of Steve Bannon and I was like, no, I gotta uh, uh, yeah, you don't want that. You don't you don't want that. Well, this plot point with this other uh Escape. I do not look like I come from Planet of the Apes, mister. I might have, but no. He was just, hey, he was just riffing, working on some lyrics. You know? <laughs> A little noodling. He's just noodling. Just noodling, man. You know, just working on some chords. Uh, well, this plot point comes to a head with this other guy. When this poor crazy bastard, who's not a homicidal maniac, he was actually at Smith's Grove. He was harmless. He shows up at the hospital where Lori is in search of help, just as Tommy is leading the entire hospital waiting room and staff in a riotous chant of evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. And then this dude and then this dude shows up. And when they see this doofus, they chase him around the hospital for what seemed like, I don't know, two hours. Trampling any poor sick person who gets in their way, dude. There's chicks and old ladies in wheelchairs, and doctors are like elbowing them out of the way. I, I couldn't help it. Yaks, you were sitting next to me. I've never laughed this much at a Halloween film. This entire well, it, it, it was for. Uh, it was hilarious because I mean I'm just sitting there with this whole scene, and I'm like, because it, once again I'm like, okay, first of all, I realize. Half these people have probably never, you know, in, in the context of this movie, in this movie world, never thought about Myers. They haven't, but I'm like, for someone like Doyle and everyone's like, it's Michael Myers. I'm like, dude, the, he's like a tiny, I like you said, he's, he's a midget. I was he's like, y'all remember? He was, from David Myers is like six foot five and 
it makes like, no sense how bloodthirsty and crazy everyone turns so quickly. And when the Looney Tune, despite sympathetic Karen, Lori's daughter, attempting to help him, jumps out a window in slow motion to kill himself rather than be beaten to death by the mob. It's supposed to be this poignant scene, I guess, but it was just so unnecessary and so unbelievable and so stupid. The whole thing made me laugh from start to finish. This whole hospital... This whole hospital chaos riot is... This is a scene, this this five, ten-minute thing here... There's a message here. I don't know what their message was. I had thought about it, and I still can't figure it out. Uh, uh, it don't give me a mob mentality bullshit. Listen, well, it took, I, it took, I, real I, quick, I, real quick, Dutt, real quick. It took Trump four years of brainwashing those mentally challenged ding-dongs to storm the Capitol on January 6th and get them fired up enough to do something. It takes Tommy 10 seconds of evil dies tonight to turn doctors and nurses into bloodthirsty, revenge-driven Charles Bronsons. It makes no sense. what Because he's not charismatic. Tommy is not at all a charismatic leader. He's just a meathead. That whole thing is stupid, and like you said, Cade, it seemed to go on interminably. It was it was dumb, and and the whole chanting, the evil dies tonight. The way everybody went nuts. If you're trying to make some sort of point at comment about a mob mentality, it failed. It was supposed to be some political satire. It failed. It's just dumb, stupid, senseless. And if you were laughing your ass off, I can understand. But you know what? You goddamn weren't supposed to. That was not their intention was to make you I've laugh. never laughed this hard out loud during a Halloween film. And it was not intentional. And it was just so poorly thought out and stupid. Uh, well, I mean, if at least the TVs in every TV in the hospital started playing the little Halloween 3 little <laughs> You know, and, and that would drive everybody crazy into a into a murderous rampage. If he was doing sure. evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. And it was all boop, 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 <laughs> Okay. Maybe. This I was can go dumb. along with that. Then there's that, this now, subliminal now, message. Now, but, granted, I, I will give them credit for here because I'm, I immediately thought this was a commentary on the January 6th Capitol riots. But this was filmed way before that ever happened. So I think it's kind of a happy accident if 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 that's what they're trying to commentate on the accident. No one ever been happy about it. Like I said, there, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that because right. I didn't, I, there, didn't I mean you don't go to, through this long thing unless you're saying because it just it seems oh it seems overly costly for filler in a film because you've got so many people you've got a riot you're killing this who just turned on this completely unfathomable that this little dwarf would they would mistake for Myers? I mean, he literally shuffles. I mean, he he can't. He's <laughs> like it. the smallest person in the room. We were well, wrong. It's not. It's Oswald Cobblepot, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, one I think for for me, this is where the timing fell apart because. 
the first act of this film was so well developed time-wise and pace-wise. I thought that it was just pushing right along through it. I was enjoying it. I know you might not have liked it. I know you probably have holes and there's people that you don't like and all this shit. But to me, it was very cool. It was a fun ride and I was on board with it. But then once you got it to this point, it's like all that momentum that you build up just kind of, you kind of shifted gears and you kind of threw all that away. And I was just kind of leaving. I was just kind of left going, what's this crap? I do think that it was supposed to be some sort of comment on the mob mentality type deal, because I will say this, how long was it since the first one and the, and the last movie It's what 30 years, 30 40. years, 40. 40 years of every Halloween, them commemorating this stuff, 40 years of a small town telling ghost stories about this guy. You, you sit there. I've lived in little small towns. You all lived in small little towns. People talk. You get something that happens like that, that becomes urban legend and it becomes an urban myth. And if people are that traumatized, they're going to stew in that for 40 years. So that's a little bit of the motivation behind it. Now, I'm not saying that it was done right. It wasn't done right at all. It fell apart. I mean, the whole well, it started movie falls apart, falls apart here. It kind of does. I can, I can see what the directors are trying to do. They just didn't do it. But it started at the bar at the talent show where half the audience didn't know what Tommy was talking about. Most of this town doesn't know. And they established that in the last film. There's a conversation between the teenagers where it's like, so what? He killed five people in today's yeah, day. Yeah, that's a good point. In today's day, that's nothing. Like we have school shooters who kill 30 people. We have mass murderers who kill 10, 15 people. Like, Five people, that's that's really nothing in the grand scope of today. And in the bar, when Tommy's giving his speech, the black uh, married couple, the African-American couple, the nurse, they come up to him and like, we never knew that story. We, we've moved here yeah. recently. So it's established that most of the town is even aware of this little incident. But everyone in this hospital is suddenly frothing at the mouths yeah, that just blows holes and what oh, like, body body mean handicapped children to get to this guy. Swap tossing. What was left out, you know, is like, you know, you say in, in a standard, you know, police report, like you hear someone on the news, even now, the, your local news station, if a criminal escapes, because they already have all of the stats on Meyer, he's been in lockup this whole time, right? So if he is an escaped convict, mental patient, whatever, during these news reports you hear, they would immediately start telling you, oh, Michael Myers, he's a white male, blah, blah, blah. Six, six foot, foot five, Caucasian, probably wearing a Halloween mask and a jumpsuit. Right. So they would tell you all these specifics. So literally, if these people looked at the news thing, they would say, oh, that guy, well, he's not six foot five he's he's four foot twelve hey speaking of the one of the most disappointing characters i have in the entire thing is the black sheriff i thought from just a visual i liked this guy i thought that i thought that this guy had a great screen presence they did absolutely jack shit with this guy there was nothing about this he was in the previous movie and he did jack shit then either he he just he's kind of a non- a non-character. Um, yeah. 
Real quick, guys. Um, I'm done with my cigar. Yeah, I'm just about there. Right before I ended it, I switched to my final beer of the night. I, I've tried to get this on the show so many times. Yak Boy, in the spirit of Big John, who got his <laughs> skull broken by Michael Myers, I am switched over to the Broken Skull IPA by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA from El Segundo Brewing in El Segundo, California. Started back in 2011. Broken Skull rolls in at a 6.7% and 67 IBUs. I don't know if there was like some sort of symmetry in that, but it's... I'd say the IBUs are a little high there, but I don't want Stone Cold to come after me. So, cracked open a beer. I tell you one. I tell you one thing. I like that Michael Myers son bitch. That guy can come in and kick a lot of ass. But I tell you what, once we got to that hospital, the damn wheels fell off. I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do there. That son bitch didn't work for me at all. I won't have me one of them broken skull IPAs and just drink about it for a little bit. I will say this. It has the best aroma of my three beers, and it does have a citrus component to it that really complemented the last bit of that cigar that really brought a, 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 a nice blast of fruitiness and sweetness to the end of the cigar. I wish I'd started with the broken skull. I'm not just saying that because Stone Cold made it. I don't. I, <laughs> Find you, son. Dun, 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 dun. No, uh, dude. Actually, this beer would have paired beautifully with tonight's cigar. Uh, going back to the cigar, man, that mineral component that showed up in the final third that blended so well with the cedar and the breadiness. The fact that that spice kicked back up at the in the final act, uh, and man, for me that mineral brought it a, a really nice game changer flavor profile to the end. I I I like the last the last third the best. It was. I had switched over to my good ale from Middleton, uh, just about almost down to the last on the for my first glass of it and that mineral and like you just said that breadiness this one it's much darker it's a little bit higher uh the abv is eight percent but it is and i and it's best if i read it it is a west coast double ipa with cascade mosaic citra and amarillo hops so it, it is very it's I'm not going to say that it's super hoppy. It's not like an, you know, 80 or 90. It's still, I'm going to put it right around that 50, 60 mark, even with the, the variety of hops. But that last third of the cigar with this beer, that breadiness, very wonderful because this, this, this beer has, a, it has less of a citrus component and more of a, of, of just a, that that bread and that matched really well with that third last third on the cigar, so okay. I, I really liked it. Tut, is your pumpkin beer still rocking and rolling well with the cigar? Yeah, well, what was interesting is that I would agree with you that 
standalone, the last third would probably be my favorite part of the of the cigar. But the interesting thing is with this beer, I find that the first third was my favorite part of the cigar while drinking the beer. Once the minerals started introducing, it started contrasting a little bit with all the flavors that uh, the uh, the Trappist beer was doing. Uh, so it was like a little bit odd, whereas the cigar was kind of a little bit out of the way, except for that heavy spice coming across the retro hill. Yeah. Uh, all in all, still a really great pairing. Really fun cigar. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, I did too. This is by far my favorite Cohiba that we've done on the show so far. I agree. Um, price point. Tut. Oh, man. I don't even know where to go. Cohiba's all over the place. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I really don't know where to go. Uh, 18? 18. I'm just really, all honesty, just throwing that number out. It did last quite a while. It was a slow-burning cigar. Uh, It did get a little hot there towards the end. I had to kind of give it some patience there at the end. Uh, Yak Boy, Tut says 18. What do you say? I don't know. This one you said, you know, this is their first in- Contracted out with uh, Herrera's company, so made made in America. Oh man, I'm. I still think it's going to be a little high, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go thirteen. Eighteen thirteen. I'm going to go twenty nine ninety nine. Let's see where we're at here. Oh shit, I win. $29.99. Wow. That's a toughie. What'd you say, Doctor? I said it's amazing how that happens. Start calling, the, start calling you little John. The funny thing was oh, is that amazing. I don't understand your aggressiveness. Right right before you mentioned that price, I was like, I was thinking, well, that cedar stick was put in there, so it's probably twenty-three. <laughs> I think it was put in to maintain the integrity of the role and also to give it a, a nice little something. Yeah. Tw- uh, oh, wait. Yeah. Shit. $29.99. I hit it on the head. Um, Amazing. Man, Even if I doubled my price, I wouldn't even. I, so- think that, I, I think that was right around the same price point as the Cohiba Royale, which we didn't care for. Uh, it had some nice things going for it, but we, we weren't fans. It's still a third of the price of the Spectre. Yeah, but come on. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's hard it's, to justify it's a that. It's good cigar. Really good cigar. But it's a good cigar. It's a really, yeah, taste-wise, it's it's a good contender. Price-wise, I mean, that, that, get out of here. To be honest, I mean, there are, there, there's some... There's ten dollar sticks that I would I would just say blow it out of the water. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. A third of the price. That it's, that that one's that twenty nine is a, is a tough sell. I mean, Everything else about the cigar, fantastic <laughs> flavor, construction. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, was, I was a big fan, uh, but yeah, that price point is. Is uh, lofty. 
it is. We'll leave it that. Uh, but that's that's Cohiba. You're either you're either getting fivers for thirty on Cigars International, or you're paying a premium and smoking something good. And yeah, thirty. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm paying ten dollars. You know, giving ten for a cigar and, and paying twenty for an eight. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay. Well, uh, I wish I would have switched to the uh, Steve Austin Broken Skull earlier. It really introduced it a kind of zesty uh, brightness that I think it would have really done well with that cigar. But the other, the other cigars, the other beers did good too. So, okay. Uh, moving on. That's what we do here. So while the two elder Strode women are hanging tight at the hospital, still under the false impression that Myers will come for Lori there eventually. The youngest Strode, Allison, her boyfriend Cameron, and his dad Lonnie, who is a local legend for actually going inside the Myers house as a kid, although he finally admits now after 40 years that he lied about that the whole time, he was warned to not go in by Dr. Loomis, if you remember the original. Lonnie, get your ass away from there. It's away from there. He never, he, he told everybody he went into Meyer's house, but Loomis, if you watch the original film, told him to get the hell away from there. They all head over to the Myers house as they figure that's where Michael's ultimately headed due to his paths. They, they got a map. This killing, this killing, this killing. He's heading back home. He's heading back to his house. Lonnie and his son get slaughtered fairly quickly, with Cameron, especially the young guy, the teenager, meeting an especially nasty death as he gets his head shoved between some staircase rails and just bashed, I don't know, 50, 100 times? We should say that at least the thing about Lonnie is that his skull is incredibly thick. He survived <laughs> that Oh my up god. Up until the very end. And, and even then, then Myers begins to walk downstairs and figures out still alive? Son of a bitch. Ugh! Goes back Dude. and kills him kills him some more. That's a Myers thing. Oh, you're dead? I'll kill you some more. No, what the Myers thing was is he knew that the girl was watching and he made her watch. He likes an audience for his art. He does. Uh, But then Allison stabs Myers in the back with the pitchfork that Big John and Little John again, Doctor, a throwback to uh, Halloween 5 Remember the pitchfork scene in the barn? A movie we should never throw anything back to. No, we shouldn't, but should not be any should not be anything to honor that piece of shit. This is not our first pitchfork stab scene we've seen in the series. And thought- also Big John and Little John, they got that pitchfork at a really nice antique sale. <laughs> it, it, it went so well. It, it looked was- great on the porch with those hay bales. It really improved that house. They've been watching a lot of Chip and Jojo. Allison stabs Myers in the back with a pitchfork, <laughs> but that doesn't stop him. And he's about to kill Allison until Karen, Allison's mom, Lori's daughter, shows up, peels off Michael's beloved mask and uses it as bait to make him follow her. Because 
He doesn't want to kill without his mask on. And she uses it to draw him about a block away across the street behind some other houses where a group of 20 or more Haddonfield residents led by Tommy Doyle and Sheriff Brackett, Charles Cyphers from the original movie. We saw him at the hospital earlier. He's now yeah. working as a hospital security guard, but he's, he's waiting here now. Doctor, you and I got a chance to drink some cocktails with Charlie Cyphers uh, a couple years ago. The guy is a national treasure. Man, he was awesome. Cade and I met him at the Frightmare Convention. Uh, he was had a beer in each hand, uh, regaled me with stories of Donald Pleasance. And uh, he also, if you're familiar with the movie Major League, Mm-hmm. He plays the general manager in Major yep. League. So, uh, man, I was total fanboy. It was like the Chris Farley show on Saturday Night Live where he's sitting there with Paul McCartney. He's like, so, uh, you're the Beatles? Yeah, that was <laughs> awesome. That was me. I was like, so you, you, you're you in Major League? Man, that was awesome. And he was totally uh, – he was telling me how uh, – Margaret Witten, the, the the sexy chick that played the owner, how fun she was to be around, and you couldn't have been cooler. Great, awesome, nice guy. Uh, so I'm happy for him that he picked up a paycheck. But I, I, you know, it was fun to see him. It was really fun to see him, and it made sense that he would be working as a security guard at. No, the, He's like at, 83 or 84 years old. It made sense that he's at home. Nothing well, about this made nothing about it made sense, and I wish he'd stayed at home. You're in a small Love Charlie. Glad he paycheck. Don't blame him for taking it. Wish he stayed at home. He didn't made want it. to retire. He still wanted to protect and serve at the hospital. It's a small town. They don't have a lot of health insurance. Come on. His pension was shit. Well, she lures Michael into this group of 20 dudes led by Tommy and, and Brackett, and they're waiting for him with baseball bats, hockey sticks, and a few guns. Gotcha, Karen says. Much like when she lured Michael into the basement in the previous film, she portrayed that she was weak and she couldn't shoot him and that's what lured him into where she could shoot him and get him to fall down there. She's toying with him. There I got you. somebody there with Big John's record player. Like, I'm going to drop this on his head. I got I got Big John's record player. I'm going to smash you with this. Doctor, you got any more songs for us? Never can tell. Everyone starts beating the shit out of Myers. I mean, it, it's a street. It's a street brawl. And it's 20 against it's one. A, it's a mob lynching. They beat the shit out of Myers. They all get a turn. Brackett even says his famous line from Halloween, Michael, I guess we're all entitled to one good scare, which should, as a loyal diehard guy, like get me like, yeah. But I was like, would he really remember saying that in 78? It was shit. It was, it was kind of shit. Uh, it looks like such a clearly evident defeat. Michael's on the ground, just completely. They shot. They shot his ass like four. They shot times. like four times. Yeah, they, they and beat. It it ends with Karen stabbing just, 
a butcher knife through his spine. She thinks, well, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm going to walk back over to the Myers house where the police have finally shown up to comfort my daughter, Allison. Well, we learn unless you chop his fucking head off, Michael Myers isn't dead. And you would think these people, especially Brackett and Tommy, would know that. So Michael slowly gets back up on his feet after being shot a half dozen times and all his bones broken and slaughters the entire army of dudes one by one. And I'll say it now. You don't assume because you've hit someone with a bat or whatever. To As they always say, you hear it said over and over in movies and television, execution style, two to the head. Always. Guys got guns. Three of them had guns. Two to the head. Ugh. Well, and they wouldn't know anything about Myers' seemingly supernatural ability because in this movie, combined with the 2018 Halloween, there's only been one night of Michael Myers 40 years ago where he killed three people, got shot by Loomis, we don't know how many times, and then was taken into custody. So all of the things that happens to him in all the other movies, just like all things that happen to Jason Voorhees, that's fair. they're not there, so we can't assume anything. Surviving, surviving, surviving the fire, surviving the hospital fire in H2, they discounted that. Surviving the 12,000 rounds of ammunition at the end of H4, they discounted that. Surviving the Loomis bashing him with a two by four at the end of H five, they've discounted that. Oh, well, that they, happened. They no, have. They, it never happened. They have no reason to believe he's nothing more than just an escaped convict who killed five people back in 1978. That's Entire fair. Stupid and senseless. But like I said before, Haddonfield. It's not a thriving metropolis. It's a small town, is what they give. It's going to be that some of these people go hunting. If they go hunting, they're going to go hunting. You shoot them through the head. You shoot them through the neck. Now, I understand the nature of Myers, but still, I'm like, that was the first thing I thought of. If I just saw some dude get shot four times and somebody stabbed him in the back of the spine with a knife right at the base of his neck, I'm probably thinking he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. The characters make sense. Even if I saw someone shot four times and they said, he's an evil son of a bitch, I'd still walk up and shoot him in the head. It's literally, to us who know the character and know where this is going, it's easy to say, okay, You take that knife, you chop off his hands and feet, and then you chop off his head. But these these characters, this 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 angry mob doesn't have that kind of uh, wherewithal. So they just assume because they shot him six times and beat the living shit out of him and stabbed him in the back of his spinal cord, he's dead. And I I think I said this to to Kate. I was like, I, I really felt like you know. Bruce Campbell as the Ash needs to come out. No, get an axe. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Get an axe. Yes. First of all, if Bruce Campbell did step in at this point as one of the townspeople and said, get an axe, 
That would have been awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes, it would have been. And it would still have been believable. Uh, the characters that would have saved the entire movie. That would have saved the movie if it, right at the very end. They're ready to walk <laughs> off, and all of a sudden, there's Campbell's. Oh, it's a trap. Get an axe. I, I would. I would have stood up and applauded. The characters make several references in the film to, to young Michael staring out his uh, sister's bedroom window for hours on end as a young boy. Some speculate that he was looking out the town envisioning future massacres, while others theorize that he was actually looking at his own reflection in the glass. Well, I don't know what any of that means or has to do with anything because it was psychobabble bullshit. But for some reason, Karen, Lori's daughter, leaves her daughter, Allison, on the front porch where they're safely surrounded by cops and neighbors. And she goes upstairs of the Myers house to look out the legendary window for herself and see what all the psychobabble bullshit is about. And you guessed it. Michael appears behind her and kills her. Not the end. While it is the end of this movie, it's not the end. The third part of the trilogy Hold called... Oh, you missed it. You missed it, buddy. Before he does that, he gets up and kills everybody. Oh, yeah, no, we, we already talked about that. Yeah, no, yeah, I got... Dude, he, he killed Tommy, he killed Brackett. He, he bench-pressed himself off the ground, and if I skip that, I'm sorry... No, you didn't. It was just it was uh, it was unmemorable. I mean, the the scene didn't make sense. And once he was shot, and once he was stabbed, and once he was beaten, and all those broken bones, he bench pressed himself off the ground and killed everybody. Meanwhile, there's a there's a weird monologue or or narration by the dude, the sheriff in the in the hospital bed, talking about how Michael's evil and he grows stronger with each kill and he starts planting the seed of the supernatural. Actually, the doctor Miles character. Actually, I think the doctor's right. I think I I I may have missed that. When Karen walks back across the street to care for her daughter, Myers who's been shot, stabbed and completely wrecked by this mob of dudes bench presses himself off the ground and kills all of them. Well, there were 50 earlier. Now there seems to be seven or eight. Well, they left because they thought he was dead. I guess so. Yeah, it was, it was poorly done now, no matter how you cut it, but he, they're all dead. He kills Tommy with his own baseball bat. Poorly conceived, poorly executed. But it does open up a very uh, big question mark, which needs to be answered in the final film. We saw Myers get shot, a human get shot six, seven, eight times, stabbed in the back of the neck, and all his bones broken, and he got right up and kept killing. That's important to note. Uh, Halloween, the the next movie is called Halloween Ends. It will begin filming this January and will apparently jump ahead four years from the events of the first two films. 
I'm assuming so Lori can run around without her intestines spilling out all, all over the place. Dude, that, that was something we didn't even talk about. Lori, we actually get to see her surgery from her knife wound. We see her guts opened up on the surgery table. And literally an hour later, she's like, I got to get out there and do this. She rolls off that table and, dude, there's just no way. Stitches and surgical glue. No, don't get me wrong. She could be hopped up on morphine for all we know, so she wouldn't feel it. But, you know, at least they do address it in the mob scene in the hospital. She finally gets, like, punched in the gut, and she falls over, like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah by, by a doctor trying to get that guy, like, get him away. But at least to Yax's point, at least they, at first, I thought she's going to join the hunt. And to Yax's point, she takes one good shove, and she's finished. She's out of, she's out of the fight. So at least they did that realistically. I think a lot of this movie was orchestrated to fill the gap in this trilogy where Laurie can't do anything because I don't think the first movie was meant to be a trilogy, but it was so successful. They're like, let's spin this off into two more films, but you ended the the first film with your protagonist getting her belly slit open. So she has to spend the whole movie in a hospital and but still, she did a lot of moving around for somebody that just had her her gut cut open. Uh, like I said, her, I mean, her muscle was uh, just in human anatomy. Her 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 stomach, her abdomen, it was severed. That's weeks of basically doing nothing while it heals. And she got right up. That wasn't going to happen. That was yeah, not. She's in upper. She's just on her blue jeans and like I'm. I'm back in the baby. So if they jump ahead four years, she'll be fully healed from her wounds. Hawkins will be fully healed from her wound from his wounds, and she'll be, you know, her grand. It'll be her and her granddaughter since her daughter is now dead. Uh, and I guess pretty much. Who knows well, I, Lindsay Wallace returned, but everybody else is dead. I wonder, though, because these movies are really great about people that you think are dead or not dead. I wonder if Karen really did die with Michael. Maybe she'll come back. Maybe she didn't die. Stabbed 27 times. There, there was a alternate ending to this film, which I thought might be kind of cool. Where after he's not dead and he shows up and whoops everybody's ass. No, after Michael kills Karen in his bed in uh, his sister's bedroom at the Myers house, Lori from the hospital calls her daughter and her cell phone rings, and Michael picks it up, much like in the first film where Lori's trying to call her friends. And Lori's trying to talk to her daughter, and all she hears is the shape breathe into the phone. And while I think that would have been a really cool moment, I think they're wise to not do that because for a guy that's been incarcerated for 40 years, how do you explain that he knew where to push on an iPhone to answer the goddamn call? Again, of all the things that are going to bother me, that, that at, the, at the end of the movie, I'm not even going to think about it. Dude, <laughs> if he killed Karen and her phone is ringing and it's her mom, Lori from the hospital, 
that would have been a great tie-in. But how would this guy who hasn't seen technology in 40 years be like, swipe, answer? No, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I get that. You're right. I'm just saying at the end of this movie, I'm not thinking about that at all anymore. I was waiting for it to end at that point. Well, you know what I hope will never end, uh, Doctor? My enjoyment every time I get lighting up a scar for my beloved Drew Estate. And Drew Estate is about to make someone a whole lot richer. During its latest freestyle live show on the company's Facebook live page, facebook.com forward slash Drew Estate Cigar, Drew Estate announced that it will hold a Bitcoin sweepstakes with numerous incredible prizes during upcoming freestyle live events, including a grand prize of one full Bitcoin, 66 grand as of today, for a lucky fan to be announced during the February 17th, 2022 edition of Freestyle Live. Entry into the unheralded Drew Estate Bitcoin sweepstakes is simple. During each of the company's three upcoming freestyle live events, October 15th, that's in the past, but here's in the future, November 11th in 2021, and January 20th in 2022, the company will randomly select the names of five people who attend the online show and comment during specific times in each broadcast as the potential winners of an assortment of fantastic prizes. The five winners from each of these three shows will create the contest contestant pool of 15 people eligible to win the grand prize Bitcoin. How crazy is that? That's really crazy. Not just a little bit crazy. Ah, I hear what you did there. And while we're talking about super cool stuff, I'd also like to take a hot minute to once again let you know about something very cool, Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. You can sign up and give your input on the new cigars by taking surveys and testing actual cigars. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. Man, as the second entry in a trilogy, I didn't really like this movie. Like this movie. Uh, it, it just featured a humongous death toll, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a slasher film, after all. But I got the impression that the filmmakers felt like they did something more here, like a... Uh, uh, Oh, bigger, they definitely thought they did more. A bigger mission. And doing what the filmmakers believe is a deep dive and examining how the shapes actions, Michael Myers actions, 40 years ago have affected so many in the town of Haddonfield other than just Lori. It fell kind of flat to me because we don't learn anything about how the other survivors have been dealing with their trauma. It's just boom. Hey, we're at a bar and we survived. Let's jump in a car and chase down the boogeyman. That's kind of weak sauce. There's so much time dedicated to Officer Hawkins' backstory. And for what? That whole flashback was to give him backstory. He's on a hospital bed the entire movie. And it's not till the very end that he reveals to Lori that Michael wasn't, in fact, coming for her tonight. 
but that his loco doctor, Dr. Sartain, was behind it all, and we get no time with Lori to let that soak in and see her fully realize, dude, her reaction to being wrong about almost everything for four decades, that deserved a moment. I wanted to see that register with Lori that she spent four fucking decades worried about this guy when he wasn't even thinking about her. We didn't get that moment. We got a bunch of little moments about characters that we didn't care about. When Hawkins finally told Lori, his doctor brought you to brought him to you. He he doesn't even know who you are. We didn't get any kind of resonant moment with Lori. Am I right? You're absolutely right. When you remove the original part two from the spectrum and remove that whole Halloween universe. Um, which is something that, you know, I know we're all familiar with comic books. Some of us are, are more more than others understand it. But, I mean, there's four different Halloween universes. When you remove the – well, five if you include the Tom Atkins movie. There's four universes with Myers. When you remove this universe where she is not his sister and you just look at the original movie, it is accidental that he goes after her. She goes up to the Myers house and puts a key in the slot and, you know, maybe you can assume he's horny or whatever and likes teenage girls because he's 21 at the time. But he starts stalking her. But he doesn't know who she is. There's no tie-in. They bring in the sister thing in part two. That's removed. So now that that's removed, we definitely needed to see that. She spent her whole life. She becomes Sarah Connor with her daughter as John Connor with, with this co- compound. And it turns out he's not coming for her. When he escapes... He's going back to Haddonfield, his hometown and his house. He's going to fuck up anybody that gets in his way. But and in that sense, there is something interesting where I can see that, you know, Tommy Doyle sees it as him. He he he, he was he was the guy, you know, and, and, and really you none of you are relevant. You are all equally irrelevant. Uh, there should have been more to that. Um, there wasn't. Um, as I mentioned to you about the 2018 movie at an hour and 45 minutes, this movie is 12 to 15 minutes too long. Uh, these movies are better when they're at the 90 minute mark. Um, I think it's stupid, but I, I, I am, I am interested in seeing it a second time, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I, Definitely did not appreciate the flashback as much as you did, Cade. And because we uh, are Halloween junkie nerds, geeks, and, and you know, well, all even better. We're thesis paper writers of Halloween. That's where we are. I want to go back and look at that whole, whole thing just from a cinematic perspective. It is stupid because who cares what Hawkins is? It's like you said, he's an hospital bed. I want to go back and look at that again. But I really feel Tut, uh, that, that was really an interesting take that I didn't get was because I felt like, and, and I do feel that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride meant to do this. And I think it's a failure, but then I'm wrong. It's not a failure because I think they've put so much emphasis on what we call Easter eggs and little mm-hmm. shout outs and little things like this, and oh, this is going to mean something to the fans. 
And to me, those are failures. But hearing Tut say, I was just, okay, they're telling me this story and that none of that meant anything to me. I really want to try and take that perspective. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, Tut, that may have been the salient point of the evening as far as I'm concerned. That may make me appreciate this movie more going forward because I, I, I really, I, I, I told Kay, Kay didn't give anything away before tonight's show, but uh, yesterday we just talked briefly and I said, man, I thought this was a piece of shit. And uh, well, it's still not going to cover up the piss poor execution of the mob scene at the at the hospital or the the fact that the whole pacing just falls wheels wheels off at that point. But I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie. I don't it's it's weird because I got to thinking about it. I was like, this is your guy's Star Wars. If you start fucking up Star Wars canon to me, I'm going to just get belligerent. Yeah. And yeah, so but, I can understand I can understand where people are like, hey man, don't be messing up with my timeline. Here's here's yeah, but, one thing real quick about that though, Titan, and I, I definitely want to hear it cares say here's one thing about that. Star Wars really still has as far as the movies, right? As far as what's been released theatrically, there still really is one universe. Yeah, right? yeah. With Halloween, taking Tom Atkins and Halloween 3 out, this one is the fourth universe of Halloween. There's the original one, then they reboot it with Halloween H2O and Resurrection, then there's a third universe, which is Rob Zombie, and then there's this is the fourth. And so Cade really gave a great perspective at a, at a much better context. We said, I just want to see a Halloween movie. And he mentioned some things that were shitty in the others. I'm like, okay, I got it. So they're not really fucking with it in that way, the way you're where you're talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no, doctor, you're right. There's basically the the first three films, which are canon, and then there's the 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 Myers the Myers films, which you skip three and you go one, two, four. Then there's the Thorn trilogy, which is four, five, and six. Then you, no, nobody acknowledges part eight. It's just that it's just total shit. Well, one, one, two, four, five, six are all the same universe. Yes. Uh, but when you start introducing Thorn in five, that's a wild deviation. That's some wild say deviation. some say uh, five six or four five six is is its own entity. There's a gazillion universes here apparently, and I'm, and I refuse to acknowledge the Rob Zombie. Uh, those are cinematic abortions that I don't ever want to talk Agreed. about. Um. But yeah, uh, I actually got more out of tonight's discussion talking to Tut as a non-Halloween loyalist and diehard. Uh, it was really cool seeing how he viewed some of the stuff that they did. I, I actually kind of, without even watching it again, I kind of am seeing uh, Halloween Kills in a different light just from Tut's eyes, so... Uh, that 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 yeah, that was cool. 
the movie is chaotic. It's often fully blown, comically crazy, especially hanging out with the insanely pissed off mob, not so much Myers himself. But for a film called Halloween Kills, it's also bloody, gory as hell. The body count is sky high, by far the highest count body count of any Halloween movie, almost 30. Often creative. Like I said, dude's getting stabbed in their eyeballs, Big John, the armpit, and then he got his eyes out. As a pure slasher flick, it really delivers the goods. Uh, my last thought, as far as, and do this, brace yourselves. As far as my prediction for next year's Halloween ends, which is the next, uh, the final film in the trilogy, stick with me on this because I'm about to sound like a crazy person. All right. After the box office and critical failure of 1982's Halloween 3 season of the witch, a very reluctant John Carpenter under the threat of legal action from producers was once again forced to participate in the development of Halloween 4 and figure out a way to make producers happy by bringing back Michael Myers to the franchise and give the fans what they desperately wanted the man in the mask. They hated Halloween 3. We got to bring back Mike. So he hired Dennis Etchison, who Stephen King once anointed the most original living horror writer in America to write a Halloween 4 screenplay, which was a logical fit as Etchison had written the fantastic novelizations for both Halloween 2 which I've read about 5,000 times. Halloween 3, which goes way more into Dan Chalice and the end events of Halloween 3. And he wrote the novelization for Carpenter's The Fog, which is also highly enjoyable. These are all great books, and I've read them all a million times since I was a kid. So anywho... And, by the way, I am all this information I'm about to drop on you is from Taking Shape. Look at the size of that fucking book, Tut. <laughs> you got textbooks smaller than this. This is a book all about the making of the original Halloween films. And Taking Shape 2, this shit is 2,000 pages of the original... Halloween scripts that didn't get made. Uh, I can't speak enough about these these books and the guys that put them together. And while I was putting together all my fun stuff, check this out. They made a The Legend of Halloween kids book, like a Dr. Seuss book. I got this through a giveaway on the Halloween autographed by uh, David Gordon Green, the director of the film. But dude, it's totally written as a kid's book of the story. <laughs> of the uh, nice. He walked into his sister's room holding a large knife. He plunged it deep into her chest and ended Judah's life. I can't read this shit to my kids. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
Sounds like it was designed that way. Uh, but dude, it, it's so kid friendly. But yeah, no, I'm gonna wait on that. But anyway, uh, this movie made me dig deep into my Halloween archives. And here's what I found. And I think, man, this would be crazy, but what if they went here? Because at the end, he's been stabbed in the back. He's been shot six times. He's All his bones are broken with bats and hockey pucks. What if they're going in this direction in the last film? Etchison turned, into, uh, turned in a script that took place 10 years after the original 78 film. With the town of Haddonfield still paralyzed in fear from the shape, who supposedly burned alive with Dr. Loomis at the end of Halloween 2, but the bodies were so crispy that the, they couldn't be identified. Halloween celebrations are banned, and even speaking of that night in 78 is not allowed in Haddonfield, which causes intense trauma within teenagers Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace. But a local drive-in on the outskirts of town decides to hold a horror movie marathon on Halloween night, despite an outcry from local parents and city officials. And during that film fest, Michael Myers not only returns to slaughter teens from park car to park car at the drive-in, but when he's fired on by Sheriff Brackett and Dr. Now Detective Hunt, he's been promoted. From Halloween 2. The bullets somehow make him stronger and he grows over 12 feet tall. It turns out that the town's fear makes him grow stronger. Carpenter said of this script in Fangoria magazine it was an excellent script, but I, it didn't include Michael Myers. The premise was that the adult's fear caused the shape to reappear. He was created by the dark side of the adults in Hanfield, by their fear of life and the fear of something different. Tell me that's not where they're headed at the end of this movie. Tell me in Halloween ends next year, we're not going to get a 12-foot-tall King Kong Michael Myers that's just... I have read all variable materials in in their working of this. So they're trying to use kind of what everybody has done. Hey, they stole bringing back Tommy and Lindsay from this script that Dennis has just written. Dude, tell me. I was about about to say, I actually think they probably have written it and they might not bring back a 12 foot tall Myers, but I think that's where they're going. The fear of the community is fueling Myers to be. That was the whole in the last in the last slaughter scene where he's slaughtering the eight people after miraculously getting off the ground. You have the sheriff from his hospital bed narrating that exact thing. It was like he grows stronger with every no, kill. He Lori, grows stronger. You're right. You, it also, Lori says it too. Yeah. Lori says it too. Like he's become something more than a mortal person which is to me it's a shame i don't want to see michael Myers go that route but what are you gonna do i think he's gonna be 12 feet tall and godzilla 
So are we saying, what if he's not 12 feet tall, but we're saying that he is a physical corporeal being, but he lives, he gets up and fights because everybody's scared of him? That's where he gets his power. Uh, It becomes supernatural, and at that point, I really don't care. At this point, who gives a fuck? Dude, here's what Laurie says at the end of tonight's movie. I always thought Michael Myers was flesh and blood like you and me. But a mortal man could not have survived what he's lived through. The more he kills, the more he transcends into something else impossible to defeat. Fear. People are afraid. That is the true curse of Michael. Brother you, can't, you can't defeat with you can't defeat it with brute force. It is the essence of evil, the anger that divides us. It is the terror that grows stronger when we try to hide. If they don't stop him tonight, maybe we'll find him tomorrow or next Halloween when the sun sets and someone is alone. You can't close your eyes and pretend he isn't there because he is. I think Halloween ends ends with a fucking 12-foot Michael Myers impervious to all pain. So wasn't that basically what happens in Ghostbusters with the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? Like the, the, the gozer says... To, I, could, I couldn't help it. It just popped in my head. You just thought of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and all of a sudden there's a 50-foot Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? Is that where we're going with this? Jesus Christ. We'll see. I think so. I don't care anymore. The town's... It, 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 at this point, yes. It could absolutely happen. Well, the, these filmmakers have really put themselves in a quagmire because he's always, he's always been flesh and blood. And now you, after that last beatdown and when he gets up from it, you've made him something else. You've made him, you've crossed the line into Jason Voorhees territory. Michael was never that guy, but now you've crossed into where, you know, Jason's a zombie and now Michael's a zombie. It's going to be really cool to see how they kind of, I don't know if it's going to be very cool. Yeah, it's going to be. Cool it's gonna be. I, I don't know how cool it's going to be. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be there. Man, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner with that last scene. Um, well, folks, I hope you uh, enjoyed us kind of riffing on Halloween Kills. Uh, it is a very big departure from what we usually do. Uh, we don't get it all right, and we're just kind of going off our memory of sitting in theater and watching the film. But uh, hopefully, uh, if you're a fan of the series or a fan of us, you had a good time. Tut! Give us some links. Man, I had a good time, and if you want to have a good time, then what you need to do is you need to subscribe to us on Twitter at TNCCCast. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, join us on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. And then you want to uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. If you want to buy any of the cigars that you hear featured on the show, you can go to Famous Smoke Shop. Uh, actually, go to the TuesdayNightCigarClub.com website. Click on the Famous Smoke Shop banner. It'll enter a promo code for you, TNCC20, which will get you $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's like 20%, and it's a dang good deal.
It is a dang good deal. Um, this concludes our seventh annual boorific and spectacular drunken march to Halloween. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, man, we featured a monster. We featured uh, a satanic heavy metal rock band. And then we ended it all with the one and only boogeyman, Michael Myers. And I think, uh, man, I think we really covered it all because uh, it was cool having uh, some non diehard fans uh, like Tut giving us kind of his perspective. I, I, I'm with Mincy. That was, that was, it was kind of cool to see how he saw it. Uh, well, I, I always appreciate listening to you guys talk about it. You guys are freaking theologians on this stuff. So it's yeah, always cool. But, but it's always cool to get uh, your perspective on it uh, for something that we're so kind of irresponsibly crazy about because we've just lived it our whole lives. So uh, this was cool. This was fun. Um I will uh, leave you with this. We'll be back in two weeks with a, you know what? I, I am going to give us a break. We will not do a horror movie uh, in two weeks. We'll do something different. Uh, but this March to Halloween has been special. It's been fun. So thank you all for joining us. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Sayonara, motherfuckers. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Man, these guys really know their Halloween movies. However, I did not hear them mention the unproduced screenplay I wrote many blood red moons ago titled Halloween 69, Season of the Bitch. In my film, Michael Myers had finally gotten tired of just stabbing guys after all these years, so he changed gears and started inviting young dudes out for drinks, and then after some laughs and a few champagne coolies, old Mikey would just bite off their wieners. Nobody's dong was safe in Haddonfield on that fateful night, and it was left up to Dr. Samuel No-Pants to save the day. It was riveting stuff, boys and ghouls, and as usual, the powers that be in Hollyweird rejected yours truly for bringing something new and vibrant to the table. Yeah, vibrant. What a bunch of scared little bitches. Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit Cohiba.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Go to work, get drunk, go sleep, I get up. Go to work, get drunk, go sleep, I get up.